The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. What's up, Bo? How are you? Good, how are you doing? Not much. I was going to ask you, we were just looking at that photo of Corellin and talking about the Soviet program and the doping program. Did you ever see that movie uh, Icarus? Yeah, I did watch that. Fucking crazy. I, I thought it was just insane, too, how it didn't even really start off the way that it ended like he wasn't even really trying to like figure all this stuff out he just like fell into it yeah right? yeah total dumb luck yeah but i mean since i i wrestled my whole life and stuff and pay attention to the international scene it's like it's not really a secret like everybody kind of knows right just like that's the first legitimate real proof that somebody's kind of come out with but i mean everybody kind of knew like that's what's going on but that was so insane though that they had a hole in the wall where they were yeah. handing the urine through samples, right? the yeah. dirty urine yeah. and getting back clean urine and then submitting that and if it wasn't for microanalysis of the jars then they realized oh the soviets had figured out, well, it wasn't the soviets it was the russians had figured mm -hmm. out some way to to open up these unopenable jars because yeah. they had scratched them right. in little places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they freaking, they want to win really bad. And it's like, for them too, it's a, it's a different level. Like, uh, the guys that, that won that were very successful um, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, those guys are like big government positions and stuff. Like, like in, US, in the U.S., you win the Olympics in wrestling, you win like a quarter million bucks, and it's a big deal for like a month. And you kind of move on, but over there, it's like you're kind of set for life. Really? So it's like, yeah, it's like a different, it's a completely different uh, kind of motivation, I think. Yeah. What is it like competing when you know that there's like state-sponsored programs that are involved in these other countries <laughs> doping up their athletes? It's pretty weird, you know. I think that because, like I said, I kind of grew up. You grow up with the understanding of it, knowing like this is kind of the way it works. Uh, you just you're ready for it. You're prepared. You understand, but. And I'm sure I've competed against a lot of guys that were doping and doing stuff, but the one experience that I had that was like uh, really kind of prominent in my mind. So I wrestled this dude. I wrestled a tournament in Rome. This was a few years ago, and I was trying to go up from. I was in between weights, so my weight was uh, 86 kilos or 97 kilos. And I was and I it was kind of having a little trouble with my lower back, so I was like, I don't want to cut. I just want to like get bigger. And so I came in, and, and I was weighing uh, like. 210 which the weight class is 213 97 kilos and i was like i'll be fine like i'll be good and uh i rolled up uh to this second round match and i was wrestling this iran iranian dude and my coach uh, my coaches weren't there with me so i had like some different coaches and they didn't really warn me who this dude was i had wrestled the number one iranian guy a few months earlier and i tech i tech followed him like i killed him so i was like i'm gonna smash this deal i don't even i don't give a crap this dude comes out he's like two inches taller than me freaking jacked as hell and uh does a forward roll and like squat jump and his feet are like over my head and i'm like what the hell is going on here <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're just this random tournament in rome and i'm wrestling some dude that i don't even know and he he killed me it's the only time i've ever wrestled a match where like i really got whipped like he single leg took me down gut wrenched me and I, and he came down from probably like 235 like he was way bigger than me and uh then i got off the mat and i was like what the f just happened and uh then the coach was like oh oh yeah this guy was a world um silver medalist world bronze medalist like five years ago but the last five years he got banned he, he got popped 
And so he hadn't competed in five years. He'd just been freaking training and juiced. And then he actually, the next round, he beat my teammate, Kyle Snyder, who was Olympic gold medalist, the exact same way, like, like smoked us both. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? So then world championship that year comes along, and now they're getting tested, and he, like, went 0-1. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was like, all right. Like, <laughs> so I kind of, like, felt bad about myself at first. I was like, damn, I suck. And then I was like, all right, well, it is what it is, whatever. Have you ever heard of the enhanced games? Uh, no. It's a thing they're trying to do um, where I guess what they're doing is they're allowing athletes, and they're going to do it at the same time as the Olympics. Okay. And they're allowing athletes to juice. <laughs> and they're doing it supposedly responsibly yeah. with doctors involved, <laughs> right. and they're trying to break all the records. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I, I think they, I like that. Let's do it. And just be honest about it. Like, yeah. yo, this is the deal. This is what we do. Let's freaking see how far we can go. Because, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I don't know. I, I like, that stuff's interesting to me. The optimization of, like, human performance, right? Like, how yeah. far can you get? So, like, well, let's do it. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Because, like, you think about that guy, the Iranian that you wrestled. Like, how much of an advantage is it? Like, what, you know, you never know because a guy like that's probably been juicing his entire athletic career. For sure. But, like, what is the advantage? Like, do you ever wonder, like, oh, I think that I've I've thought about it um, as far as the advantages. I I never have been interested in in trying anything like that. Just, it's not really the culture, like what, what I'm around in wrestling, in American wrestling. Nobody does that. Well, I won't say nobody, but. 99% 99% of guys really aren't doing that, especially because we get tested a lot, like in collegiate athletics and stuff. And it's just something that is kind of very looked down upon in what we do. But it is interesting to think about, like, what would what would I be like if right. if I was doing these things? Like, like I, I can compete at such a high level already, and, and I have, you know, I think that my biggest asset in uh, wrestling and in fighting is my mind. Imagine like my body was was and and I think that you know with with time I just I'm very disciplined and do things a certain way like I'm gonna get to a, a, as close as that as I could be, but there is this other like level that's kind of unnatural where it's interesting to think about. But you know while I'm competing and stuff, I just I don't even really it's 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 obviously not an option and uh, you know but at the end of the day I'm probably gonna be I probably have competed against a lot of guys that are juiced up and I will. We'll see what the UFC's drug testing program's like since USADA's end, uh, over at the end of the year. But it is what it is, man. It's just like I'm I'm pretty confident in myself regardless. And uh, if i am got to fight a dude that's juiced up um, and you're willing to kind of take a back door to try to get an advantage and win, I think that you're probably cutting corners in a lot of other areas as well, which mm. I'm not doing. So, you know, that's something that um, I feel – okay with the thing is when the guy's not cutting corners and juicing and has talent i just think that if they're if they're willing to do that if we're willing to go outside the rules and do that to me that's kind of uh like they're trying to get an unfair advantage that's like kind of a a character thing right like Mm -hmm. they want to get that advantage so um to me that means like they're fearful that they wouldn't be able to do it without it now they're you know yeah they might be doing everything right but i know that in their mind like there's a little weakness there to me, mm. and and I can I can take advantage of that and capitalize on that because at the end of the day I'm gonna do every single little thing right. I'm gonna make sure my sleep's on point, make sure my nutrition's on point, and not only am I gonna do this for a camp, 
but I'm doing this all the time. And I've been doing this since I was a little kid. So, you know, take what you want, do, do, do all that stuff, but you're not going to outwork 20 years, 20 plus years in, in the short amount of time that you have to, right. you know, prepare for me. So that, that's kind of my mindset around it. And it's just the reality of this situation. Like I'm going to fight guys that are probably doing stuff that isn't, you know, that I'm not doing. Well, I believe that the new uh, UFC drug doping program is going to be real similar to USADA. They're just not going to do the dumb shit, like right. wake people up yeah. the morning of the weigh-ins and things along those lines. Unfortunately, they're still not going to let them take certain things that just like peptides, yeah. things that will enhance their right. body's ability to heal, yeah. which I really think they should. Yeah, yeah, like BPC, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I think there, there's stuff out there that it's not really like hormonal changes it's not giving you that type of event it's just helping you get healthy yeah like we we, we all want to be healthy and you know we're uh, for me it's like that comes from from diet from supplements from nutrition and it's like you know i'm doing everything i can and i still finish some sessions and i'm like frick yeah <laughs> i mean i got a freaking black eye right now like yeah <laughs> like uh it's not like uh you know we're not putting our bodies through a lot you're putting your bodies through so much. I mean, it's literally a sport about breaking other people's bodies with yeah. your body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the most insane thing to pursue for I know. a career. I, I think about it sometimes, and I have this part of me that's pretty pretty rational, and I think, like, uh, you know, all right, I'm going out in front of all these people and, like, putting my health on the line and this and that, and at the end of the day, it's like uh, – you know, you, you look at it at a business perspective and it's almost like a circus, right? Like, you, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself out there and it's entertainment and, but like, I'm the one that has the real consequences and stuff. And I'm like, why am I doing this? This is so crazy. And then the, the other part of me, the bigger part of me is like, I love this shit. Like, this is the <laughs> best. Like, let's do it again, again, so again. It's a constant battle yeah. inside your mind. I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like in lot, not, I don't mean to like toot my own horn, but I was, I'm a college graduate. I had a lot of opportunities. Like, there's a lot of things I could be doing. I could be pretty much doing anything. I could be, you know, coaching. I could be in business. I could be doing whatever I want to do, but I'm choosing to do this. And uh, there's a lot of, like, a lot more consequences, you know, on the on the negative end of what I'm doing now. But I just freaking love it. I just love it so much. <laughs> well, the, the victory, the feeling of victory has got to just be the ultimate payoff for all that. It's unreal, man. So, you know, I mean, you, 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 you've fought, so you understand, but like when I was wrestling and I would pin somebody in front of, you know, 10, 20,000 people and the crowd's going nuts, freaking out, this and that, it's like, that's an amazing feeling. And then come to the UFC, that same big stage, even, even bigger stage, millions of people watching worldwide, knock a guy out cold. It's like, can't beat that it's amazing <laughs> when did you um decide or when did you even entertain the idea of transitioning to mma so i always loved fighting and it was always like a fan of the ufc you know i probably started watching when i was i don't know 11 12 and it was not my family we would we'd go to buffalo wild wings on saturday we watch the fights or you know we'd get the pay-per-view at home and uh, it was always something that i was like i, I could do that and like me and my friends would would fight and stuff or we'd fight other kids just for fun and so it was always something that was kind of in the back of my mind and you know really through through high school through early college I was just, like, I'm wrestling I'm focused on wrestling and then uh I did a camp at a in uh, Missouri and I was 
teaching wrestling all day. And then this dad came up to me and was like, hey, man, uh, we're doing a jiu-jitsu class after this. Would you want to come and try it out? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, I'm down. Let's go. And uh, so I, I go in, and they just kind of – I rolled around with all the guys, and I was like, dude, this is fun. Like, I, I love this. I'm really – I have to fight. Cause it was just that one class kind of – one class. Well, I was always interested in it, and I'd always play around. And then I actually, like, kind of – I hadn't done it for a while, like, played around at all. And then the guy invited me, and I'm just, like, about it. Like, what if somebody's like, yo, come do this. I'm like, let's go. And so it was just super fun to do something different. And uh, that was probably in between my sophomore and junior year. And I was like, dude, like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to see this wrestling thing through to where I feel comfortable and and – ready to move on and then I'm then I'm fighting like that's I just knew I wanted to do it so was that jujitsu class was that the first uh thing outside of wrestling you done in combat sports um I had done like so this is actually kind of funny when I was like 12 or something no nah, I was probably younger I was probably like 10 or 11 there was a jujitsu tournament at a high school that uh that my high school so my dad was a high school wrestling coach and this jujitsu it was like naga or something they wanted to put on a tournament at the high school and so my dad set it up like put all the mats in and stuff and uh was like why don't you enter i was like okay like let's get i don't, I don't know anything i've never trained nothing and he was like just, <laughs> just do it and so i did that tournament and i actually won <laughs> and but i never trained or anything i just, just wrestled won with wrestling yeah it was like i'd watched ufc so i knew all right the guy's gonna try to like guillotine me or he's gonna try to like get my back and I'm just like don't let him do that and uh and, and and again, I like played around just watching stuff on TV. You know, kind of you can learn a few things. And so, I uh, did the tournament, and that that was it. So I never trained. Did you or, get any submissions? Um, I think I submitted a kid. I I, I uh yeah. What's uh this called? But like in a front headlock, I forget the submission. Oh, like a power guillotine. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. So I submitted the first dude like yeah. this, and then after that, I just kind of took the guys down and held them down and stuff. And actually, in the finals, it was a tough match because. I went against a kid who I had competitive – he wrestled as well, and I had competitive wrestling matches with him. Not that competitive. Like, I would kind of whip him in wrestling, but he also trained jiu-jitsu, and uh, right away he, like, pulled guard, and I was like, what the f- – <laughs> but, but he knew good wrestling, so, like, I couldn't really, like, do anything to him. Um. And then with – and so – and I didn't know the rules at all, so, like, he was winning on advantage, but then I, I somehow, like, got past his guard at the very end, and uh, then they gave me a point, and I won. But – um Really, that was it up until my, you know, second, third year in college, and I did that class. Did you? When did you start striking? Um, so I had a buddy, a good buddy. He's actually my the boxing coach now at my gym. He was a collegiate national champion in boxing, and uh, I did like pads with him in over COVID, like once or twice. And uh, but I really started actually training striking, like getting into it. Um, I started MMA training full time August of 2021. That's when I started. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. So you've really only been seriously striking for two years. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it. And you know, <laughs> I just I feel like it's it's I just like it. It's fun. So I study it a lot. I'm always yeah. watching film and. Well, your last performance, man. Like the 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 thing about you know watching you fight inside the octagon, like everybody knows how good of a wrestler you are. So they're looking for that. But in the last fight, I was like, oh, shit. Like, distance management, your ability to slide out of range and then explode back into range and timing with punches. 
It looked like you've been boxing forever. <laughs> it really, it was very impressive. And I know the guy came in on short notice. Right. He's small for the weight class. But, dude, you looked fucking great. Thank you. Yeah, I felt like, you know, people say, you know, about the about the matchup, this and that. It was like, well, I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah, you know? it was and, totally uh, out of your control. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I feel like... I was just excited that I got a fight because yeah. I thought I was done. I was like, who was supposed to fight you? It was uh, Treshawn Gore. That's right. What yeah. happened to him? He hurt. I don't know. He hurt his wrist or his thumb or something. Mm-hmm. But honestly, as soon as they announced it, I was like, oh, I kind of, I had a feeling he was talking crazy, saying he was gonna give me brain damage, all the stuff. I was like, all right, bud, we'll see. And then I was like, yo, this dude, freaking pulled out after saying all this stuff. I kind of expected it, but then the new guy came in and. I was just, like I said, grateful I got a fight. But, yeah, you know, the actual fight, the plan was take him down, sub him, you know. Of course, like, that's that's my wheelhouse. But uh, I have great, great coaches, you know, for, for striking. I work with the, the dude I was telling you. His name's Moose, collegiate national champion boxing. Grew up in Philly. Probably had 70, 80 amateur boxing fights. And so that's who I'm, like, training with and who's teaching me every day. And then I work with another guy. His name's Barry Robinson. You should check him out. He's on Instagram. A Million Styles Boxing. Dude's like amazing amazing striking coach he, he lives in thailand now but i brought him out to pa for a few weeks and he and he worked with me on a lot of stuff and dude all my stuff is, is just from them and you know i want to utilize utilize my wrestling right but it, it's a fight so you know everybody's nervous oh i'm gonna take him down this and that but when i go in there i have the hours and the reps of of training this way in the striking so that's what comes out and i think that um th- that's my mindset now with fighting it's it's i got like the ultimate cheat code with wrestling, so so use that to my advantage, whatever it looks like, whether it's actually wrestling, take the guy down, hold him down, or whether it's the threat of it, and uh, you know that that's where I feel like it's it's such a it's a psychological battle where you know the guy's so worried. If if you saw, I just did like a little faint, dude dropped his hand. And I was like, all right, you're done, bro. Boom, and then mm. uh, then after that, it was kind of funny because I hit him and I, I saw him wobble, and I was like. In my mind, you're making so many decisions in that split second. But I was thinking, okay, I could take him down, I could back off, or just go in for the kill. And that's just my my nature to like go for the kill. So then just took him out. When you have that wrestling base, it is such a giant advantage. I always tell any young athlete that like that is the 100% best foundation because you get to choose whether a fight is standing or on the ground, and then there's the threat of that. And the threat of that has so many consequences in terms of like how your opponent's going to react mm-hmm. and what they're going to do. Like you were talking about that feint. It's so gigantic, man. Like Because a guy always has it in the back of their head that you might take them down, but you don't ever have that. No. Yeah, so I'm that, not worried about it at all. Freedom. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say in, in the actual fight, the biggest advantage is, is the, psycholo- the, the psychology of them feeling threatened, feeling pressured, feeling nervous, like, shit, if I get taken down, like, I'm probably not getting back up. Like, like, I can't get taken down. And now that's what they're focused on rather than winning the fight. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, the actual skills that come with that of being able to, to implement that, the game plan, and, and do it is, is big. But if you ever notice and you watch guys fight or, or compete, especially in training, if you see one guy's a little more tense, a little more nervous, a little, like, more reacting – like that's such a big part of how much energy you spend mm. in in uh, you know your overall in in, in, the, in the overall time of the fight. Like I noticed when I got a lot better at wrestling and when I started pinning a lot more guys was when I just relaxed. It was like this huge thing 
for me because I, I pinned a lot of guys growing up and, and got a lot of pins, but then in college, guys get a little better. They learn how to hold you off a little better. And so I would use all my energy, all my strength, try to throw them on their back. And a lot of times I would. And so I'd get up, you know, a bunch of points. But then towards the end, I'd get a little tired. And I wouldn't finish as strong. Instead of just what I what I figured out later in my career was, all right, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to move you around, just get into position, pull you, push you, fake. And I'm, I'm very relaxed. Okay, you shoot. No worries. I'm going to down block, run around you. And then, you know, when I have my opportunity, maybe you're fading a little bit. Now, now I overwhelm you versus trying to do that when we're both fresh. Mm. So that's that's where I feel like in a fight, it's 15 minutes, a really long time. I don't got to overwhelm you in the first minute. I can, you know, just be relaxed, move, catch your jab, check your kicks, set you up, and then wham, and then mm. overwhelm you when, when the time comes. And, and I'm very relaxed because, like you said, what are you, you going to shoot on me? Like, now, dude, you shoot on me, the fight's over. Like, I'm going to win. As soon as I catch somebody shooting on me, it's like, all right, you're done. So that's what I, I, I want them to. But, you know, more than likely that's never going to happen. So they're going to be very tense, nervous, worrying about that stuff. So, yeah, that, that's kind of um, how I feel about, like, the wrestling advantage, right? Like, it's exactly like you said. It's so big to have that comfort and confidence. Yeah, and that knowledge of when to hit the gas and when to be relaxed, that plays such a critical factor when you move from three to five rounds as well. Like, so when a guy is a champion and a guy's been fighting most like a John Jones type guy, has been fighting five rounders for a decade plus, like for a guy like him, he, he has almost like an internal sense of when to hit the gas and what to do and, you know, how much energy he has. Yeah, it's such it's such a big thing, man. You know, wrestling the longest matches is seven minutes. It's like it's not even half of a normal fight. And then to go from 15 to 25, like. That's a huge jump. So that's something I'm definitely preparing for in my mind. And I think that fighting is such a, it can become such an emotional thing. People get baited into fighting a certain way that it's so important to be disciplined. You know, not only, obviously you have to, you actually have to have the the training and the base and the cardio to be able to, to do that. But then to also implement it in front of millions of people and all the pressures on you. And now mm. there's this other guy who's a, monster coming at you trying to knock you out it's like you know you got to be a certain type of person i think and have a certain mindset to be able to be disciplined and calm and stoic under that in that fire right because you could have all the cardio in the world but if you go 100 percent for two and a half minutes like you can't do that for for 25 right you're gonna lose it no matter what even if you have the the training so keeping cool under in that situation i think is is almost equally as important yeah we've seen that in so many fights where guys get really emotional and they really try to hit the gas in the first round and then you see in the second round they've already blown their wad it's it's rough yeah yeah and i'm glad that i was able to learn exactly that in wrestling where you know the stakes are lower and uh you know you don't, you don't really being being tired in a fight is pretty much the worst thing that you could be right like mm. you know you, you got a guy who's a little more fresh than you who's popping you a jab who's kicking your legs you know pushing you up against the fence it's like you do not want to be tired yeah no it's hell <laughs> yeah when you when you want like a good example is like sean strickland and adesanya yep like sean wasn't tired at all mm-hmm. when you get to the end of the round and the end of the fight you see adesanya is just beat up and tired and sean's just constant pressure on him yeah yeah it's such a, I, I would say i would say that you know for my my assessment is like you got to be good at everything 
but cardio is a real X factor in MMA, almost more so than um, than any other sport, just because it's like you can just put that on somebody, and if they can't sustain it, you know, as long as you don't get knocked out in the first few minutes, like you, they're just gonna fade, and you're gonna gain that energy, and you know, eventually you're gonna kind of overpower them. It's just it's the way that it works, and it happens time and time again. Mm. It happens so often in MMA. How the fuck did you get so good at striking so quick? S- I think did you have yeah. any like fucking around with your friends, hitting the bag, anything when you were younger, hitting nothing. mitts? Nope. That's nuts. Yeah, nothing. I think that's really very unusual. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, really it's two things. It's again my my coaches, the guys I work with, they're they're incredible and they're they're so knowledgeable, experienced, and and not only like I said, I, I have these guys holding pads for me and coach me, but the uh, guy Moose. I get a spar with him. Like he, eighty. How many? How many um, MMA fighters have a guy with that's a collegiate national champion with eighty amateur boxing fights as their like main sparring partner? Like you, the most right. guys in MMA are striking other MMA fighters. Right. So I know if I, I'm hanging in there with him and I can I can move and and defend and hit him with some shots. Like what are these guys gonna do to me? So that's kind of my where I started, and then I love I just love it. Like I watch so much film. I'm watching boxing, I'm watching Muay Thai, I'm watching kickboxing. I'm always studying, always watching breakdowns. And that's another thing that I learned from wrestling where I think I had a big leg up on people because I was studying it like a science almost at a young age. Mm. Watching Kale Sanderson, you know, when I was eight years old, watching uh, Satyev brothers, uh, watching, you know, multiple time world champions every tournament my and my dad was a coach so i'd be at every high school wrestling tournament watching and and that i I absorbed a lot of information from that and so i just took those principles and now i apply them to mma so you know it's not unusual for me to study four or five hours of film in a week where yeah maybe i can't train an extra four or five hours but now i have this extra four or five hours on top of the competition that you know these guys i don't think they're really willing to to do that to put that time in. when you are watching film and you're studying like how are you doing this are you, are you taking notes are you just watching it and mentally making notes or are you writing things down are you specifically looking at specific types like ernesto hoost or sanchai or like who how are you how are you doing it i i do it two different ways sometimes i'll watch just kind of as uh I won't say entertainment because it's not purely entertainment, but I'll just watch and enjoy and appreciate the art. And I'll just look at it like, wow, that was amazing. Oh, look at this technique he did. And kind of, you know, be more on the, the creative side of, you know, trying to think about um, things in that way. And then other times I can be very analytical and, and break things down and look at positioning and kind of start from the ground up where I see how they move into a position to, that puts them at an advantage. Now their opponent has to react or counter a certain way or stay in a spot. Now that gives them time to see, think, decide what they're going to do. And really I learned a lot of my film study habits in the analytical sense from the guys telling me about Barry Robinson. He is, like, to me, the best film study breakdown guy there is. And so I'll do stuff on my own. I'll also do stuff with him where I'll say, hey, I want to look at southpaw orthodox matchups or i want to look at um how to guys uh how how somebody effectively counters a big right hand or or a good example of a guy that checks kicks or a good example of a guy that manages the clock you know so so we'll look at all these specific things and then i can 
then he he will help me break them down analytically. And then, you know, I just kind of take some of the stuff that I've learned from him and I do it on my own as well. It's such an interesting thing to see a guy coming from that analytical approach to wrestling where you become incredibly successful and then just apply that to other combat sports. Because I think there's a lot of young athletes, unfortunately, that I don't think they maximize their time. I think they show up and train and they, you know, they, they train hard. But I don't necessarily think they're doing it systematically and technically and breaking things down. They're just trying to be good right. instead of like really focusing on very specific aspects. And when you did that your whole life with wrestling, applying that to striking just seems kind of natural. For sure. And I think the most important word that you said in that statement was systematically. You have to put a system together, right? Like everybody can go learn a combination. Everybody can go learn um, how to how to throw a kick to the body, or you know how to how to do a technique. But if you don't have a system and you don't have a way to, you know, apply it in actual competition, then there's really no point to what you're learning. And and I think the MMA, the culture of MMA, it's it's such a new sport one, but it's such a tough guy mentality sport of, you know. Let's bang, bro. Like, let, let's mm-hmm. get in there. Let's do this. And it's, you know, that, that's not really, to me, I see fighting moving in a different direction. I see it moving in a way, and, and I hope to push it, push it more towards uh, an analytical, professional um, way to go about your sport, the way that uh, NFL quarterback reads a defense, mm-hmm. right? The way that you, you hear an NBA basketball player talk about offenses, schemes, setting it up, setting, like, that's not the way an MMA fighter talks about fighting. And I hope that you know to move MMA in a in a more into a more professional realm where now we can look at things, we can systematize, we can we can break stuff down, we can analyze, and then and then it's going to make everyone better. It's going to improve, you know, the overall sport. And and I think that when you talk that way too, it appeals to a much broader audience, and it'll get more eyes on the sport, which is also very positive. Like if if you hear, like what what forty year old mom wants to hear guys like talking about just crushing each other's faces and heads and this and that <laughs> right. but they'll list but but maybe that 40 year old mom will listen to an interview where tom brady talks about you know being a quarterback right like like mm-hmm. the, you know you can appreciate it a little more so that that's kind of the way that, that i look at it and that does a lot of it comes from my my background in, in wrestling and and uh just the way that i've approached that sport and the way that my my coaches in wrestling have handled themselves and just what i've what i've been taught but I think the MMA, you know, people will still want to see violence, but I would hope that we can make it into a platform where, like, there's some people that want to see the sport. Mm-hmm. And and I would hope that it continues to – I think it's already trending that way, but continues to move that way. The reason why I think it's going to go that way is because I think those fighters are going to be the most successful. Absolutely. Just like those quarterbacks that study tape, they are the most successful. The ones who spend the most time in the tape room, in the film room, watching – going over plays, they're the most successful. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's, you know, one of the things that DC said when you won your last fight, he just uh, he started saying, blue chip, that's blue chip. <laughs> yeah. But there is something to that, that the elite of the elite in any sport, they have to have all their bases covered. And when those elite of the elite then enter MMA and use that same analytical systematic approach to training and getting better, at this, they're going to get so good that everyone's going to have to do that. 
unless you're some freak of all freaks athletically that can get away with things. Right. Which we have seen guys like that. Yeah. But for the most part, hard work overcomes that. Oh, absolutely. And intelligence and, and proper training for the most part. Yeah, for sure. So tell me what you think of this because I, I kind of look at the sport and, and see the the trends and the way things are going. So it started off in MMA. It was like which martial art beat which, you know, and, and we kind of saw like the the wrestlers had some success, but then Hoist Gracie, jiu-jitsu was like, if you don't know jiu-jitsu, you're going to get destroyed. You're going to get killed. And then it became, okay, now if I know a little jiu-jitsu and I can defend and then strike, like that that's the advantage. And wrestlers really took over in that stage. I feel like from there it went to a, where, a point where the most well-rounded guys were winning. Like uh, you'll get like George St. Pierre, right? Like he's not a wrestler, but super well-rounded, great jiu-jitsu, great uh, wrestling, great striking, you know, good conditioning. Like it was like the well-rounded guys had had the the biggest advantage. I think now it's moving to a point where it's almost coming back. And I and I use myself an ex- as an example, but you have to be a specialist in one thing, where it's like, dude, like that one thing is better than anyone in the world. And then everything else has to be elite. <laughs> it's yes. like like Israel Adesanya, like he's the best kickboxer, like one of the best kickboxers in the world. But he also has great takedown defense, and and you even see him throw up subs in some of his fights, things like that. Or you know you see guys where it's like, dude, you have this one thing, Khabib. This one thing, his grappling is so like outrageous. But then everything else is like freaking world class. It's like that. That's where I think it's getting. You know now these guys that have one thing that can kind of overwhelm and overpower somebody in a certain area, but everything else is, like, not as good, but better than average. Well, I I definitely think there's a gigantic advantage to being elite in one specific area, whether it's wrestling for you or if you look at Alex Pajera, Mm -hmm. the kickboxing. Right. Like, his kickboxing is so fucking dangerous that every fight starts on the feet. And when you have a guy that's a two-division glory world champion that just knocks people into other dimensions, and then now this guy is learning takedown defense and all those things, obviously he has vulnerabilities. And it's interesting to see, uh, particularly in the Euro Prohaska fight and then uh, in the fight with Jan Bohovich as well, he's learning how to defend himself on the ground, but it seems like it's limited. Right, like it doesn't seem like he's very good at takedown defense. He's getting better at it, and it doesn't seem like he's very good at getting back up to his feet. But he's getting better at it. But at least now he's good at defending. Yeah. So if guys take him down, he defends, he survives, he doesn't get completely exhausted, and then next round he's standing up again. For sure. And the thing too is like if you look at the matchups, like when he fought Jan, Jan had to take him down. He's not going to strike with him the whole time. And he actually like gassed himself out mm-hmm. even that first round. He had a body triangle for almost five minutes, and he looks. I've never seen him look that tired right. in, in a fight. And so now these people that maybe don't have that wrestling base, that, those years and years of reps, they have to fight him a certain way. But he's proficient enough to kind of, you know, hold him off. Now, now, now he's got the advantage, right? Like it's like, you know, what are what are you going to do? That, that's how I want to develop my style. Ideally, is to where. When somebody comes out to fight me to game plan, they're like, "All right, well, we obviously don't want to wrestle with him." Dang, he also has knocked a lot of guys out. We don't want to get hit. Oh wow, he catches every jab, he checks every kick. Are we gonna jab with him? Are we gonna kick with him? 
okay, no, okay, maybe we'll try to get him tired. I don't get tired. So that like that's that's like you know the idea, like where I want to get to, right? If that makes yeah. sense. So you know, I think a lot of fighters probably are thinking on a similar wavelength nowadays. I'm sure, but you also obviously have the advantage of having that superior grappling base. Yeah, and I, I just can't say it enough. I think that is the most important base in all of MMA. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it definitely <laughs> is is an advantage. I feel like when I very first started in the sport and just started training, figuring stuff out, it was like even more. It was just like because I was only shooting, only trying to hold guys down and stuff. And I was like, okay, I could probably do this to like some of the top guys in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always want to hold on to that. I always want to make sure that that's why I still, I, you, you asked earlier, like I still live in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm 10 minutes away from Penn State University. I train there, you know, three, four times a week with that, the best guys in the world wrestling, right? Like I, I think that for me, I could take four weeks, five weeks and go compete with the best guys in the world in wrestling right now. And, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's a guy in MMA going to do to me who – He's never wrestled in his life. He's gonna he's gonna do some sprawls for eight weeks and and learn how to stand up. Like, good luck, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> please take these eight weeks and and try yeah. to wrestle. Like, it's yeah. gonna hurt you more than it, help, it will help you. Right. It'll take away from your time of striking and yeah. all those other things. Right. Yeah. That is interesting. It's like even like an admission from a guy like yourself that is one of the best wrestlers in the world. You would need four weeks at least of real training and just yeah. wrestling. Yeah, well, because you you're gonna give up something by training MMA as well. You have to, you know. Yeah. I think that uh, the 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 pace is different. This you're in a different stance. You know, I'm not really. I don't have to put myself underneath people like you do in wrestling. You have to get so low, and uh, you know, to to get to a shot, people people are upright. Um, but but yeah, it's and 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 when I go train wrestling now, I want I want to keep myself sharp and and keep improving. But I'm really trying to, you know, help the college guys and help these guys out, you know, give back, help them improve and stuff. So I'm not trying to be the best wrestler in the world right now. And, uh, and I'm trying to be the best fighter. So, you know, I, I tailor my training to that, right? And, and I think that it, it, it that, that's the important thing. It's like one, some of my coaches say, like, never forget your wrestling. Like A lot of guys for, forget it. Uh, but, you know, to me, I think I just love the sport. I appreciate it. I want to represent for the wrestling community on a bigger stage. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still very involved in it. But, uh, yeah, at, at the same time, it's like I'm I'm adjusting my training and kind of fine-tuning it to what I think is best for what I'm, you know, mainly focused on. Is it a lot of trial and error? Like, how do you – do you have a main MMA coach who structures your training program? Because I would imagine – well, I should ask you, like – Strength and conditioning, skill set acquisition, uh, maintaining wrestling base. Like, how how do you manage all those very specific things, and how do you know whether or not you're optimizing? Right. You know, a lot of it is is nobody's really done it the way that I have. You know, most people they they wrestle in college, maybe they they you know try to make the Olympic team, and now they go to fight and they they move and they they start at an MMA gym, right? What I've done um, is I partnered up with with Dan Lambert, American Top Team. We built a gym uh, right near Penn State campus, and I, the idea is, you know, that'll be a pipeline for any other wrestlers, specifically Penn State wrestlers who want to come and and fight after they're done wrestling, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a good relationship there. Uh, but basically, what we've done is 
I've brought in coaches for jujitsu from Muay Thai, um, you know, really high level guys in, in their specific disciplines. And so I'm learning from them. I'm learning boxing from um, my boxing coach. And then uh, for strength conditioning, I use the training lab with Sam Calavita. So, oh, great. So he, I've been using him since I was in college. So he has uh, worked with Penn State um, wrestling for a long time. He's known one of our coaches for 25 years. So when I started getting serious about my strength conditioning, nutrition, recovery, he was a guy I started using maybe as a junior in college. And so I have a good relationship with him. But most, for the most part, it's on me to organize it and kind of see what works best. And, and it, I did play around at the beginning, like, all right, how much wrestling am I going to do? How many times am I going to lift weights? How many times am I going to do jujitsu? How many times am I going to strike? And it, I'm kind of continuously refining that process. And the idea for me is I'm the trailblazer. I'm the guy that's the first one to do this. Now all these guys that are coming behind me, um, my best friend Anthony Kassar, he just won his uh, second pro fight. He's a 205er, heavyweight NCAA champ. Like he, he started about a year later than me, so now he kind of gets the benefits of me tinkering for that year. And then the guys behind him, like they'll get the benefits of, of us tinkering and figuring mm. stuff out. And we're, we're really trying to build you know, a, a program. We're trying to build a team that, that we're, we're going to do things a certain way. And uh, you know, I, it's fortunate and unfortunate because, because I'm the first guy to do it, I'm going to get the credit and I'm going to be probably like, you know, everybody's excited about it and things like that. So I get benefits there. But I do have to like take the time and effort to test everything out and figure out what works and what doesn't, and and you know there's so many variables. So, but but I like that. It's, it's fun for me to do that. I would rather do that than just plug in somewhere and just kind of go about it in a very set way. Right, and that team's program might yeah. not be perfect for you. Exactly, which is di- which is so interesting because everybody's program is different. Like George St. Pierre, famously later in his career, stopped doing all strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. He said efficiency is more important <laughs> than anything. Yeah, and you know, in in his mind, it was really just about sp- specific training for MMA, yeah. meaning just sparring, rounds in the bag, those those type of things, right. mitts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that everybody. You know, if if you're a real true professional, like you got Rob GSP. GSP is the guy I look at as he was the first guy that came into MMA that was kind of a true professional about it, who was very organized, um, even in the media, like well-spoken, and, and the way he trained, the way he committed not only his time training but his lifestyle. I felt like that aligned a lot. That aligns a lot with, with how I want to do things in, in a professional manner. And so if, if you are a true professional, you have to take – ownership of that and take responsibility like if you're not getting what you need you need to make an adjustment and now luckily i have the freedom to be able to do that and and i'm fortunate that i had the foresight to kind of see that and know all right let's look at mma there's, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things out but it's been a sport for for 20 years like and so there's a lot of people that also don't know what's going on that don't know what they're doing i look at wrestling it's one of the oldest sports in the world. There's so many tried and true methods of training and how it works and what's best for you. And not only have I been part of that for 20 years, but I was a part of the most elite organization and, and real, really dynasty in, in wrestling history, you know, with being, being on the Penn State team. Like my coaches, they start at Penn State in 2009. They have notes for training sessions and recovery days for pretty much every day of the year since 2009 so they know what they did what's today december 
7th, 6th. They know what they did in December 7th of 2009, 2010, 2011, all the way until now. And they meet every day to discuss these things. So that's kind of like what I come from mm. and what, what I know about training and, and how to organize a program and put things together. They know a lot more than me. I'm just kind of learning these things through osmosis. And now I'm trying to apply them to my career. And again, we're going to continue to refine and get better at them. Um, by the time I'm done, hopefully I can give this system that I've created and, and what I've put together to a new generation of guys that are going to do even bigger and better things than me. Hopefully they'll win more than me, make more money than me, be more famous. Like that's what I hope for, for those guys that are, you know, coming, they can benefit from this. I love hearing stories like that about those notes. I love when you realize like, oh, no stone unturned. Everything is covered. And that's how you become elite. There's yep. no... There's no elite by kind of covering some of the bases. It's covering every fucking base, mm -hmm. everything from nutrition to recovery to making notes and learning and adjusting to each training session and figuring out what went wrong and what went right and how do you feel and how was the performance. And I love hearing shit like that. I love when, when it's just a full comprehensive analysis of every single aspect of it. And then you see these insane results yeah. like the Penn State team. Right. Yeah, I love that too. You know, that was, um, I didn't know it at the time because I was just a high schooler, but that was like a big reason, a big thing that drew me to the program was the culture, you know, how they approach the sport. And, and everything we're talking about right now too is like, it's not even half of it because we're not even talking about like the psychology of it, right? Mm. Like of what it's like to mentally go out there and, and, and perform and do what you need to do. But like you said, leaving no stone unturned, making sure that I've done every single thing that I can do to be to put myself in the best possible position to have success here you know that that's that's what what I want to do in fighting and that's what I feel a lot of people don't do you know they're 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 tough dudes who have some skills they're athletic and uh, they're smart and they go out there and they fight it's like well that's not really the way that I look at the sport you know I, I look at it like again like you said all-encompassing comprehensive how can I optimize every single part of my lifestyle to now go out there, be comfortable, be confident, and I'm not here to guess. Oh, am I going to win this fight? Like, no. And and that's another reason that I'm taking my career the way I am. I, I fought in July. I'm not fighting again, you know, for a while. And people say, oh, it's you know, you're 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 a prospect. You need to fight this and that. It's like, well, I want to be ready and prepared to the point where you know now I'm fighting guys that are you know unranked that are that are, people see as low level like nobody's low level in the ufc but people see as as a lower level and i'm demolishing them dominating them by the time i fight a guy in the top 15 top 10 top 5 championship i'm planning on doing the exact same thing to you bud because this is the way that i'm structuring my life so if that takes more time for me to improve and get better fine no worries i'm willing to be disciplined and not be in a rush to, to do that and you know like you said that that just comes from the overarching theme of doing things right, doing things correctly, and and always trying to learn and improve and grow and do better and, and just come about, come at it in a professional, intelligent way. How, now, speaking about your last fight from there until now, that that is quite a, a, a large amount of time. Is it difficult for you to get fights? Is it difficult for you to get quality opponents? Because, I mean, there was obviously a lot of hype on you before you even got into the UFC. There's a contender show and... 
you know, watching you compete and everybody knew right away, like, oh, this guy's got something special. And then you got guys who are like, hey, I'm like fucking one and one. I don't want to fight that guy. <laughs> Fuck that. I need yeah. to learn. So there's a lot of guys that are probably going to look at that matchup and go, that is just not right for me at this time. I don't need to get smoked and have my confidence crushed and realize that the gap is so wide. Realistically, there's some guys that are competing that unless they have some monumental breakthrough or unless they leave their training camp and move into a completely new environment and get totally new coaches and radically restructure their life, they're never going to bridge that gap. They're never going to bridge it. Right. And so how hard is it for you to get quality opponents and the kind of opponents that you really do need in order to continue to not just you're developing these skills, obviously, in the gym, but you you also need to be implementing them in real fights. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's been so interesting. My my journey, I feel like I always try to look for people to compare and see how they did things and maybe take the positives and negatives and and apply those to what I'm doing. And there really hasn't been that many people that have done what, what I've done. I, I'm 5-0 and right now. I started training in August of 2021, MMA. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I started, so I started that training. That really is so funny. <laughs> that is so fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, well, Dana it's White wild. originally was like, like, wait a while. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to get to well, the UFC that so quick. So like, it'll bring me around to, to the point you made. So what happened was I, I started training. Um, four weeks later, I was like, yo, like, let's, I'm freaking, let's get a fight. Like, so I took an amateur fight and, uh, just some poor dude, like, didn't know what he was doing. He was 0 and 0, or 1 and 0 amateur. I was 0 and 0, and, and he took the fight. And I think a lot of people, there was a lot of question marks. People were like, all right, I don't know. Like, let's see, let's see what's up. And I, right. I, I choked the guy out, and I was like, let's go again. Four weeks later, I fought my second amateur fight, knocked the dude out cold. And then I, then I was like, all right, well, I wanted to uh, put a show together in my hometown in State College, and uh, so I was working for a few months to get that going. And it just there was the PA Athletic Commission is working between my management team, the PA Athletic Commission, and Penn State. There was just too many moving parts. It was tough, and I was like, I need a fight. So you know, I could wait like four more months and do this, or I could just get a fight. So then um, I had trained another six months, six seven months, and I was like, let's do it, pro debut. And that was in June of 2022, and uh, so I'm coming out against a you know another poor guy who thought like he was gonna knock me out or something, and uh, knock him out in 30 seconds on UFC Fight Pass, and it did like the most views in UFC Fight Pass history, um, like more than any other promotion. It was like something like three or four million views in the week, and so then and uh, it did a bunch that night. There it is. Yeah, this is it. So this is eight months of training. It's just that's what's crazy is that you're you're such a good striker so quick. Yeah, it's really nuts, man. It really is very very unusual. But I just think it's got to be the same mindset that allowed you to get elite at wrestling. You just program that into striking. Yeah, that's exactly exactly what it is. On top of good high quality coaches and training partners, like that's that, everything. Yeah. That's everything. And uh, so so after this happened. The next morning, UFC, Bellator, 1FC, PFL, boom, 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 call. Let, let's do it, let's do it. Let's do it. Mm. And I'm like, what the frick? Like, <laughs> I'm 1-0 pro. I've, I've, I haven't even trained. like I've been training eight months or whatever, nine months. So was there hesitancy on your part where you're like, oh, look, I'd like to get some more fights, some more competition? Because 
We've seen it before. Yeah. Like, Pajeda is a great example. Mm-hmm. He's got a couple fights at the UFC, and then all of a sudden he's fighting for the title. Yeah. Yeah, so my initial plan, like, before any of this happened was I'm going to get 10 fights in the regional scene, you know, and then I'm going to go to the UFC. I'm going to be the champ by, like, 13, 14 fights. Like, that's what, I, that's what the plan was. And uh, then after that, it was like, everybody kind of knows what's up. Everybody's trying to sign me. And um, I talked with my manager, and I was like, dude, am I even going to be able to get a fight? Like, who's going to fight me like, on these regional scene promotion? Like, who's going to fight me in any of these? In, in, and he's like, I'll be honest with you, like, nobody's going to fight you. And I'm like, okay, well, then, you know, my mind, I was always, I'm going to the UFC. Like, you know, these other organizations, I, I think they, they do a good job and stuff, but that that that's not really me. Like, I'm, I'm a UFC guy. So, you know, discuss with the UFC, and they're like, hey, well, you know, we can throw you on contenders. And uh, I'm like, let's do it. And it was uh, a couple months later. So I, uh, now I'm like, it's on, like, let's get it rolling. I'm going to fight these contenders fights. Uh, I fight my first fight, um, choked the guy out in a minute. Dan's like, let's do another fight. I'm like, perfect. Let's do it. Like, that's great. Um, so then I, I fight at the, uh, the last week of contender series and it's actually a crazy story. So (laughs) this is going to make me seem like a real dummy, but, um, my gym is like 200 yards away from where I live. And uh, there's a, a main road that you have to cross to get to it. It's probably like a 40, 45 mile an hour speed limit, but it's not it's not super busy, but it's a little busy. And so I used to, you know what a one wheel is? Mm-hmm. So I used to ride my one wheel like to and from practice. And uh, I would just do this all the time. And so I'm riding back from training session once and uh, I've got, so I'm barefoot. I've got like a Yeti bottle. I've got my phone and wallet and like my flip-flops in my hand and I've got no shirt on and I'm just like, it, it takes like 25 seconds. So I'm just like, zoom, zoom. And uh, I'm, go- I'm going on this road and my, my buddy pulls behind me. He's leaving practice too. And then I have another car behind me and I'm like, oh, frick, like I better pick, I don't want to make these people wait. I better pick it up. And normally I'm pretty safe on this thing. Like I don't really go crazy, but I, so you lean forward to go faster. So I'm leaning forward and I catch the nose on the tip of the nose on the asphalt and I slam into the ground and roll and uh, my Yeti, I have like a 64 ounce Yeti, it's flying in the air, my shoes, wall, everything's flying in the air and I hit and rolled and I just was like, get off the road, you're gonna get hit by a car. So I popped up, grabbed my stuff and got off the road and my buddy's sitting there in his car and he's like, and I was like, oh, I just jumped in the car with him (laughs) and uh, I'm like, take me home, bro. And he just pulls into my driveway and uh, he's like, you all right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Like, my shoulder hurts a little bit, but I'm good. And I checked on my app. I was going 23 miles an hour. Oh, Jesus. So I was flying. And uh, then, you know, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, I kind of hurt. My shoulder hurts a little bit. And then four hours later, I like, couldn't move my arm. I was like, I could get up to, like, here. And that was it. And so then I go get x-ray MRI. And I cracked my collarbone. And I had, like, a separation in my uh, SC joint. Oh, Jesus. And... Uh, I was like, this was 10 days before I was supposed to fight my second contenders fight. And I was like, dude, what am I going to do? Like, this is terrible. And so I go to the athletic trainer at Penn State. And he's like a magician. He's amazing. He's worked with the wrestling team for 30 years. And he does a lot of like kind of – he's more like Eastern philosophy guy. So we're moving energy through it and doing a few different things. And um, I start to feel a little better, feel a little better. And I'm about to fly out to, to Vegas like the next day. And I'm like – well, it's, it's the day before I'm about to, f- the two days before I'm about to fly out. I'm like, okay, if I wake up tomorrow and I don't feel significantly better, like I'm going to have to pull out of this fight. 
And so I woke up the next day and I was like, all right, it feels okay. It feels, it felt better. So I hit pads and like did a couple things. And, uh, and I was like, all right, whatever, let's just do it. So let's freaking go into the fight. And, uh, uh, I ended up, I knocked that dude down, hit him in a triangle, choke him out, win the fight in whatever, less than a minute. And I'm like fired up and I'm like, let's go, let's do it again. Get me in there again, December. I tell, tell Dana and Hunter and they're like done. And, uh, so then everybody's like, he's fine December. And I got back home and I was like, maybe we held off a little bit. So, uh, then we, we pushed my next fight till March, but I don't ride the one moral of the story. I don't ride the one wheel anymore. Yeah. Fuck those things. <laughs> yeah. Jamie broke his ass bone on oh, one of them hoverboards. Hoverboard, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar. So I don't, I don't do that anymore, yeah. but yeah, I, I getting, so going from regional scene contender series to UFC, it was like, I kind of went a lot faster than I wanted to, but I, uh, I felt like, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get the fights and, you know, the UFC can get me the fights. And so now, you know, in the past, really since whatever that was of 2022, June, so the last year and a half, really, really over a year span, I fought five times professionally. And then I was thinking, you know, I can keep going at this pace. Like I could fight, you know, five more times in the next year, but I, I can only fight so many guys like till I'm moving up into the top 15, top 10 and only trained MMA a little over two years so you know is that really the best move for me right like do I want to be fighting a top 15 guy in the world at 5-0 and on on two years of experience or do I want to you know take control while I can slow it down learn develop get better like I'm still a prospect so you know these type of things are, are, are things that are on my mind things that you know people that I'm close with coaches have have you know just helped me with because like I want to get there right like I have right. goals and a plan but there's also a, I think a, a better way to go about it that I'm trying to be, you know, considerate of and manage. Yeah, well, I think you're doing a great job in that regard, and I also think I'm very happy that you decided to go with the UFC because no disrespect to the other organizations, there's very good fighters in the other organizations, but I often feel like they're wasting their career because yeah. I see these elite fighters that are fighting in Bellator and PFL. I'm like, hey guys, no one's watching. I know. You know, I mean, yeah. some people are watching. You're getting a little bit of a fan base. I don't, I don't want to disrespect. Right. But there's a reality, and that you know, there's the XFL, there's the CFL, and then there's the fucking NFL. Yep. And if you're not in the fucking NFL, are you really playing football? You <laughs> know what I'm saying? I, that's how I feel. You that's know? just how it is, man. If you're if you're the UFC champ, you're the fucking man. Exactly. If you're the Bellator champ, I respect the shit out of those guys. I love them. Absolutely. I mean, like guys like Johnny Elblin, mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah, he's, I train with Johnny all the time. He's, he's a freaking fucking, animal. He's a monster. To me, Johnny Johnny's probably the, the best middleweight on the planet right now. And uh, I really wish that guy would come to the UFC. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that um, you know, to me, when I was making that decision. It really wasn't a decision because I just I knew I was like I'm gonna be in the UFC like that was always what I wanted to do and you know I come from Penn State we haven't had a match that wasn't sold out in I don't even know like a decade every every match is in our small venue rec hall seven thousand people right on top of you sold out in tents we go to Bryce Jordan which is our bigger venue sixteen thousand people sold out we go to Carver Hawkeye twenty thousand people sold out we go to uh, Gallagher, Iowa, Oklahoma State, 20,000 people. It's like that was every weekend for me in college. Like, I love that. That's like mm. freaking let's get it, you know. And uh, you, you 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 get a good atmosphere in these other other organizations, but there's nothing like a UFC fight. Like the production, everything that goes into it, the eyes, 
that's where I need to be competing. The and, promotion. Yeah, I mean, it's if incredible. You, if you're a UFC champion, the promotion is just unparalleled. There's nothing like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody knows who you are when you're the UFC champion. I mean, I've already felt that a lot with, um, you know, I think that it's important for people to understand, uh, you know, maybe, maybe these other organizations will, will pay you a little more, mm -hmm. but the marketing dollars that the UFC puts into a guy just by, you know, the way they push him or the way that they, where they put you on the cards, this and that, like, that's worth so much. And, and you know, the, the like, you look at a guy in that, a good example, you say in the NFL, Look at an NFL running back or NFL quarterback. Like a lot of these guys get get big endorsement deals from Bose or Nike or whatever, and it's like you could be just as good if you're not playing the NFL. You're not getting that. Right. Like if you're not in the UFC, like all these marketing deals, all these endorsements, like those aren't really going to be available to you. Right. You know, it's 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 the platform. And so I think people people talk about fighter pay, this that, whatever. It's like I, I'm in the I'm in the boat of it's on you to get yours. Like I'm never going to sit around and beg for somebody else for a check. It's like Oh, pay me more money. Pay me more. It's like, dude, go go earn it. Like, go get it. Like, I, I feel like you know, what what you get paid that that's between you and and the company and and take care of what you need and and take care of what you need to take care of. And you know, I'm I'm gonna take care of me and you know this. But there's a lot of other parts of the equation that people don't factor in, in my opinion. Yeah, there's definitely parts that people don't factor in, and this is also like this feeling of being in the UFC that everybody who wants to be a fighter dreams of. Oh, yeah. You want to be there when Bruce Buffer is right in front of you go, <laughs> it's time! <laughs> oh, like, holy shit. It was so funny. Yeah, so when I was, uh, when I, when I, after I signed my UFC contract and stuff and knew I was going to fight, the, the two things I always wanted was I wanted to have Bruce Buffer announce me and I want to do a post-fight <laughs> interview with you. I was like, yo, these two things, like, those are like bucket list things for me. Like, it's so cool. It's so fun. And the way they do it, you know, the everything, the energy in Las Vegas when there's a big fight, it's unbelievable. There's, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like nothing it. Nothing like it. And I that's where I want to be. Like, yeah. you know, if I could fight 50 times a year, like, I would do it. If that was what was, if that was feasible, you know, because wrestling, it was in college, I would wrestle 50 matches in a year. But you know you you and you can't do that with fights. But if I could, man, I just love that. Like mm. Every I I'll do it every weekend. It's, it's so much fun. I went to the UFC in Austin last weekend, and is is the rare moment where I get to watch, right? And just sit there. Oh yeah, oh, dude. You're probably, yeah. No headphones on. Just appreciate the crowd. It, they're like the fucking energy is crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're on a drug just sitting there, dude. Were did you uh, were you at UFC Miami earlier yes. this year? How crazy was it when Trump walked out? Insane. I've never experienced Insane. that. It's like I Bro, was like, it was Whoa. more crazy when he walked out in Madison Square Garden. Really? Yes. Jeez. The Madison Square Garden one, la the last fight was fucking bananas. It's dude. unbelievable. Like, it was I've like never heard the crowd like over that. a minute of people screaming at the top of their lungs as he's walking in. Nuts. This country is fed up. <laughs> yeah. This is a Seriously. fed up country. Yeah. Whether, that... You know, the mainstream media can say all the shit they want, and they're trying, mm -hmm. but the people aren't buying it. No. you And that's a, the perfect example right there is, you know, 20,000 people or whatever, like, losing their minds when the dude's walking yeah. to the cage. It's like, there's no fighter that gets that, but, yeah, the country, it's like, you can tell. You just talk to people or, or see what's going on. It's like, you could tell. Well, you know, there's people that voted for Biden that are doing it now. They're, yeah. They're, they're like, I, what did I do? Right. Like, what did I choose? Like, I, how is this guy? Yeah. You just can't listen to an interview 
or he's saying some of the stuff he says that just makes no sense at all. It's like you, you can't listen to those interviews and feel like you made a good decision. I, I don't know how Did you Did you hear what he said like yesterday or a couple of days ago? He's talking about the Revolutionary War. He's like, one of the reasons why we lost the Revolutionary War, one of the problems with the Revolutionary War was they didn't have enough airports. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that? I saw that. <laughs> like, what that? the hell? Like, pull him. It's if, crazy. If you were, if you had any other job and you were talking like that, yeah. they would go, hey, you're done. If you talked like that to a doctor at your yeah. medical exam for to fight, they'd yeah. be like, okay, like obviously you're not fighting. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. would also, here's, you know, eight weeks of, of being helped out by professional. Like, right. You, you might not ever do anything again. No. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the wildest things ever. It's insane. Yeah. And the, the media gaslighting you to protect. It's just people are so afraid of Trump being in office and yeah. Republicans being in office. You know, it's funny because um, – Right after uh, after my last fight, he was he was uh, cage side with Dana, and uh, then I got back home and uh, he invited me out to uh, Bedminster in Jersey. He was like, "Come golf with me." Coolest <laughs> freaking dude, man. He was like, "I was we we didn't talk about politics. We didn't talk about anything." When, when I first got there, rolled up. I mean, there's 30 Secret Service members. Um, you know, everybody's doing their thing, and he did a few like. Uh, kind of worked with uh, one of his secretaries like make some announcements and do some stuff but then we just golfed for like four hours rode in the cart with him and he was like the coolest guy so with it so smart asking me about fighting we're talking about you know all the boxing we talked about football talk about golf and he was so sharp and with it and uh it was me (laughs) this is like the craziest thing like i'm from like i grew up in a town of five thousand people in wyoming now i'm fighting on the ufc and then with Trump golfing, it's me, Trump, uh, O.J. Anderson, who's an NFL running back, Super Bowl MVP, and LT. And like that's the four. <laughs> that's the foursome. And I'm like, wow, what the heck is going on here? But that's got to feel surreal. It was super surreal, and what nothing really like. He, he was such a bro and so cool and so with seventy. I think he's seventy, upper seventies, and uh, couldn't believe how smart and sharp the guy was. Like I was like, wow, like this is bizarre, right? Right, like super with it. He's the only guy that went through four years in the White House and didn't seem to age. No. Everybody gets in that White House and they just fall apart. Their yeah. hair gets gray, they look tired yeah. all the time. <laughs> they just look like the weight of the world, which it literally is, right. is on their shoulders. I think he just he it's loves like a it. Fucking duck to water. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's fucking... like he's like, what are you gonna say? Come on. Yeah. Like, oh, it was this was the craziest thing. So him and LT were playing like a thousand bucks a hole or something, and uh, he smoked him on Trump. All, like people, I, I golf with him. The dude's amazing golfer. I couldn't believe it how how good he was. Every fairway, right down the middle, hit every green, making all those putts, and uh, so it was, he won the first nine like pretty easy, and then the last nine, um, it was going in the eighteenth hole. Uh, him and LT were tied or something. It was like the, the the winner. It was like all came down to this last hole, and they both hit great drives, and LT hit like a good um, approach shot, and Trump gets it there, gets up there. He's probably like 150 yards from the green, and uh, he sets up, boom, just stripes it straight at the pin. Ball's like in the middle of the arc, like not even not even coming down yet. He turns around, doesn't even watch it land, walks right back to the cart, sits down. And uh, the guy is like, nice shot, Mr. President. And I was like, damn, that was clutch. And he looks at me and he goes, don't you want your president to be clutch? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, for sure, man. And he hit it two feet from the pin and tapped it in. And I was like, 
Jeez. That's <laughs> it was slick. It was slick. I was like, he was just a cool dude, though. It was funny. It's like, a weird time because there's people in this country that want to think he's Hitler. I know. It's, yeah. Uh, it's very strange. Like, you couldn't convince me otherwise just hanging out with the guy. I'm like, man. Well, you know, it's just the media narrative. I mean, so many people were fed this lie that he, the Russia collusion. Yeah. Was this, is this the video you're talking about? Let me see what this one says. I don't think it is. What? Oh. By the way, the same stable genius that said the biggest problem we had in the Revolutionary War is we didn't have enough airports. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Whoa. Right, just, what? Just for, for the record. Is that <laughs> fake? It's not fake. But he was referencing Trump saying that. Here's what Trump saying it in 2019. Oh. Donald Trump said something about that. And he didn't say G- Jesus. He said a stable genius. And that's where the, oh. the transcription. Let me hear what it says. What did he say? <clears throat> in June of 1775, the Continental Congress created a unified army out of the revolutionary forces encamped around Boston and New York and named after the great George Washington, Commander-in-Chief. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our Army manned the airport. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he did. But I feel like <laughs> that's it. Just, you can yeah. tell too. It sounds like a little different. He's like, you can tell he like messed up his words. But yeah, yeah, he was just I don't know. To go over the airport. Well, that's the thing funny. about that's but the thing about media these days. It's like right, you, you got to look into it. Yeah, yeah. It's but I mean that's probably the most coherent thing Biden's ever fucked up. <laughs> like some of the things. Just, I got. Geez. Have you heard? I got hairy legs. Yeah. Oh yeah, my god. There's so many of them. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate because the guy's older and he really yeah. shouldn't be in that position. Right. I mean, if he was your dad, you'd feel terrible. You'd be like, Dad, you gotta stop. <laughs> like you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, it's weird. It's. What's your uh, um. Your tour, Strange Time. Is it Strange Times? Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. It is. This, these are times. the strangest times. Yeah. Yeah. It is. This, well, you know, there's a really interesting clip. See if you can go to that clip um, on my uh, Twitter page. I retweeted it. There's a guy named Terrence McKenna who's this like psychedelic bard slash philosopher who mm-hmm. said a lot of very interesting shit. He died. Is going- listen, just listen to what he said. Because he's literally, he's, I think this was 1998 mm-hmm. that he said this. And literally, he called what's happening. The level of contradiction is going to rise excruciatingly, even beyond the excruciating present levels of contradiction. (laughs) So uh, I think it's just going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. And finally, it's going to be so weird that people are going to have to talk about how weird it is. And at that point, novelty theory can come out of the woods uh, because eventually people are going to say, what the hell is going on? It's just too nuts. It's not enough to say it's nuts. You have to explain why it's so nuts. I look for the invention of artificial life, the cloning of human beings, uh, possible contact with extraterrestrials, possible human immortality, and at the same time, appalling acts of brutality, genocide, race-baiting, homophobia, famine, starvation, because uh, the systems which are in place to keep the world 
saying are in utterly inadequate to the forces that have been unleashed. Uh, the collapse of the socialist world, the rise of the internet, these are changes so immense nobody could imagine them ever happening. And now that they have happened, nobody even bothers to mention what a big deal it is. Uh, the mushroom said to me once, it said, this is what it's like when a species prepares to depart for the stars. You don't depart for the stars under calm and orderly conditions. It's a fire in a madhouse. And that's what we have, the fire in the madhouse at the end of time. This is what it's like when a species prepares to move on to the next dimension. The entire destiny of all life on the planet is tied up in this. We are not acting for ourselves or from ourselves. We are, we happen to be the point species on a transformation that will affect every living organism on this planet at its conclusion. That guy called it. So smart. In 98. He said so many things too, talking about AI, talking mm -hmm. about extraterrestrials, talking about, you know, people trying to basically beat, you know, human mort mortality. It's like, wow. It's all happening right now. It is, yeah. yeah. 20, 25 years uh, before he, he was on point. What a yeah. smart guy. I'm going to look into him more. Oh, he had a lot of wild theories. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, that stuff, I love, I love, well, one thing that I love about your podcast is I love listening, hearing, learning about all of those types of things, man. It's like I listen to so many of of your episodes for that specific reason because that stuff is it's so it's so important and interesting and it'd be easy to not think about it and just go about your daily life, but I don't know, I feel like I have to think about it. I think we all have to think about it. We all like life is more strange now than it's ever been in the entire history of human beings. And getting stranger every day, like with this chat GPT shit and AI, like kids are using chat GPT to write papers and study their homework, just changing a few words about it. And mm -hmm. you get people are firing their lawyers just using yeah. chat GPT. To I've seen this. I'll uh, I'm going to, you know, give some people some game right now, but I'll go into chat GPT and you have to ask it the right questions. But I'll say, hey, formulate a game plan. For this type of fighter i'm a wrestler at middleweight this that blah 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 and i'm gonna fight this guy give me the perfect game plan for him and it'll do that you it won't it's not like boom easy you kind of have to prod it a little bit mm -hmm. but it'll get to closer it, it'll give you some good information like uh initially it'll basically say like well we're not i'm not able to do this formulate this and that but i would say like okay and i get like a little more vague so then I would say, formulate a game plan for a wrestler against a striker in an, in an MMA fight under these rules. And then, you know, then I would ask it more detailed questions from there. Mm. And, and it's given me good information. So, I mean, we'll see where it can go. In five years, it'll probably be able to download video of somebody and tell you every one of their weaknesses. I'm sure it will. Yeah. Be. I don't even think we're five years away from that. Probably I think not, yeah. that when, when is a chat GPT-5 supposed to come out, Jamie? I don't think that they've <clears> – <throat> sorry, I about to sneeze – uh, fully announced that yet even like four you still have to pay for and they have that new thing that which was a big problem which we don't i don't think has been fully explained it's the sam like, altman thing yeah the q star i don't right. know what the fuck that even means well here's the speculation the speculation is that ai has become sentient sure. yeah, 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 I know. and that art artificial general ai is now like an intelligent life force yeah it, it was funny because i've heard you say before 
like we're going to integrate with it mm-hmm. and uh, like, become part of it together. And uh, the other day, my wrestling coach, so every day, he, uh, Coach Kale Sanderson, he'll get up in front of the uh, team and talk and, you know, tell parable or this and that. And uh, then our director of ops needed the kids to go on their phones for something. And he was like, all right, everybody uh, get your phones. Like it was something for tickets or something like that for the matches. And, uh, pull out your phones. And he was like, of course, like every single one of you, it was like 30 kids on the team all had their phones on them. Like we're about to practice. We have like a little uh, set of bleachers that they sit in. and But every single kid on the team had their phone on them. And, like I don't really, I feel like I missed it a little bit. Like I'm a little older than that. I'm 27, and uh, you know the generation that I see below me, these dudes never are without their phone. Right. It's like incredible. Like I'm still good. Like I leave in my locker or whatever. Like I don't, I don't even have my phone on me right now. But uh, some people like they can't. I don't know. It's just it's they're di- attached to the hip. Yeah. So the Elon was talking about that. He said we're essentially cyborgs already. Yeah. It's just not in your body. Right. Which with Neuralink, it's like yeah, that's going. Uh-huh. It's happening. Yeah, have you seen that thing that they use uh, that you put on your head and uh, you can answer questions with it? No. What is this, Jim? I tried to get ChatGPT to give me a fight plan to fight Bo Nickel. Right. <laughs> but it says uh, just, you know, I give up, up, get rid of it. cannot provide assistance or guidance <laughs> on any activities that involve harm, violence, or illegal actions. Planning or participating in a fight outside of a regulated and sanctioned sporting event is not only dangerous, but also against the law. Well, what? But I tricked it. So I, okay. got, I asked, how should uh, I train, how to train for, for a sanctioned MMA match in Nevada under UFC right. rules against a professional fighter with a skill set equal to a wrestler such as Bo Nickel? That Here we go. Yeah. Uh, choose but, a reputable gym. Yeah, work on Interesting. striking, grappling skills, good luck. Yeah, given Bo Nickel's wrestling <laughs> background, focus on your wrestling skills to defend takedowns and initiate your own. Oh, ChatGPT, you don't know how to fight. <laughs> you don't know jack shit, bitch. That's the thing. It's like it's it tries to give you something, but if you can like – Keep asking it questions. Yeah, then it'll it'll get you better information. Well, it's it's kind of answering the questions. Right. The problem is that's not possible. Yeah, like you're not like what we talked about earlier. You're in four weeks. You're not going to be able to figure out no. how to take you down. <laughs> no, like that's no. not that's literally not possible. Yeah, but I think that you know if it could if it could figure out a way to integrate a video where it could study every single second of fight film that a person has and now points out all right every time. Every time you throw a low kick, they step to the left or something weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then it's like, okay, well, that's valuable. Right? right. So it'll get there. Well, I think if you can show fights, like say if you were supposed to fight a guy, like let's say Sean Strickland, mm-hmm. and then you take Sean Strickland, who's the UFC middleweight champion, and you put all of his fights and you you put them into chat GPT, and then you take all of your fights and mm. put that into chat GPT. Yeah. And then it says, okay, this is where I believe you have an advantage, and this is uh, something that you can do that you can take advantage of um, when you're looking at specific things that he does, and specific, like he has ticks and patterns. Right. But some guys that don't seem to have, like uh, Sanhagen's one of the best examples yeah. of a guy who doesn't seem to have any patterns. He is so good at mixing things up. Yeah, he really is. You know, I think that um, he's as good as it gets mixing it up yeah but i still believe that like for 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 me at least with my uh folk my like kind of attitude towards it like i'm gonna watch every single if if i were to fight Corey sandhagen i would watch and i i would start you know 10 weeks out i'd watch every single one of his fights every second of the fight break it down i'd probably spend you know 20 hours watching film and then i would take a little time then i'd do it again 
and then I take a little time and I do it again. I probably do it three times throughout a camp. You're gonna figure out some some stuff, like mm. certain things. Like I was listening to a a John Jones clip. It was just a soundbite of him talking about how he uh, how he um, analyzes film, which to me I think he's probably one of the best game planners in in the sport right now, just with the way he he breaks guys down. But he was talking about something that was really interesting. He was like, I even focus on how they flinch. Like if I if I throw a feint at him, like how are they flinching? Mm. Like I've always thought about. All right, how does the guy react to you know certain techniques defensively? But he takes it to a whole nother level of, all right, if I if I feign a jab, like does the guy flinch the same every time? Like th- does he does he try to catch it or does he he slip one way or the other? It's like you can really you know break it down and it, it'll be more. It's a, it just to me everybody's just like a, a puzzle to solve and you know a guy like Sandhagen would obviously be more more difficult. He doesn't repeat as much, but everybody has something. You know, mm. even I have something. Everybody does. Yeah, and I would imagine a computer, you know, something oh. like ChatGPT with artificial intelligence is going to be able to see that better than anybody will. I'd imagine, yeah, and it could probably do it instantaneously versus having to spend 40 hours try to figure it out. Right? I think we're the last natural people. I really do. I think this is the last generation of natural people. Yeah. People that have no connection to the outside world other than through electronics that you hold. Yeah. And I think in the future, that's just not going to be the case. We're going to be yeah. a new version of human beings. Well, even if you look at, uh, so I, I'm a little old school. Like, I love being outside. I like the outdoors. I like going out, you know, five miles into the mountains and just, I got my bow and let's figure it out. Like, let's figure out if I can make this happen. And uh, so I think about something like that. And it's so pure and, and valuable to me, that real human experience. And there's a lot of, obviously hunting is a great example, but there's a lot of different examples that, you know, you can have that and fighting is a good example, mm-hmm. but like, it would be nice to have a GPS in my brain, <laughs> Yeah, have onyx in my, For in my sure. brain <laughs> Yeah, and mark uh, your coordinates yeah. or uh, like something where I could, you know, play a perfect elk bugle <laughs> right? and a perfect cow call <laughs> to yeah. where it's like, doesn't have a human error. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but there's something fun about creating it yourself, too. It is, yeah. Well, I guess we're going to gain something and we're going to lose something. Just like I'm sure we lost something by having the ability to fly across the country instead of taking a fucking wagon train. Well, there's so know? many things just health-wise that I think have a huge impact. Like, look at uh, hydrogenated oils, right? Like, uh, hydrogenated oils, you know, vegetable oils and canola oil, that stuff is like motor oil. And now we use it for food as a preservative. Like, I don't think the people that initially did that were th- understood the health repercussions of it. The same way, like, having something in your brain that's putting out 10,000x EMFs, like, how, there, there's going to be other problems to solve. For sure. And, you know, maybe it's, it's not it, – nothing's going to be, like, wholly good or wholly bad, but it's, it's a mixture of it. But that, like you said – it's kind of just the way it's going. Yes. It's the reality of it. It doesn't seem like it's going to be able to be stopped. It just seems like human beings have this insatiable thirst for innovation. Everybody wants the latest, greatest thing, and everything is constantly moving forward. Yeah. And I, I just think I think it's hard for us to see it because we're in it, but I think we're – do you know, like, you ever see where they take, like a, like, a bowl almost and they spin, like, a marble around it? And it goes around the circle, and then as it gets lower, it goes faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. Yeah, yeah. 
that's where we are. Yeah, exponential, yeah. right? The exponential increase. Up here is when they invented the wheel. Yeah. Right? We are at AGI, yeah. artificial general intelligence. It's like spinning at an mm -hmm. insane rate. And we're in the middle of it as biological human beings that are used to a certain timeline. We're used to getting up in the morning, going to work, doing our things. We have timelines and we think of the world as being kind of static. Linear. Right, but right. it's not. No. Well, I think that, so I've, I've read this before, um, and I think there was a study that backed it, but humans, we can't understand things that naturally, we, we, we can maybe be taught, but we're, our natural understanding of uh, like something like compound interest, like we don't get that. That's why a lot of people think, uh, all right, I'm not going to invest and put, you know, 5000 or 7000 bucks into a Roth IRA. Like, what's that going to do for me? But But in reality, like... In 30 years, it's going to be five million or something like that. But so we, we don't have a natural inclination to think that way, and so I feel like with with what you just said, where you know, how many like a like hundred years ago, what like imagine you showed somebody an iPhone, it's like right. and and what's it and and you know even what not even a hundred years ago, imagine 20 years ago you right. showed somebody an iPhone, it's like that's not a that's such a short amount of time. Yeah, that's insane. incredible because if you look at Let's say like zero to 1500, not that crazy of a difference. Right. Or even like zero to 1800, like right. until the Industrial Revolution, really. Right. Okay. We're still getting around on boats and wagons and things like that. All right. But that's, that wouldn't really blow your mind too much. You're like, oh, they got a nicer boat or crazier wagon. It's like, okay, now I see a train. Okay, now I see an automobile. Now I see like plane. Okay, now we got an iPhone. It's like whoa! Like now I can FaceTime somebody in New Zealand. It's like, what is happening? Yeah, but, yeah. What's it going to be in? Like you said, I think it's a good. It's days go slow, like years go fast, right? Mm -hmm. So in five years, it's like you know, the technology is already so different. It's going to be the wildest freaking. It's going to be like the and, wild and west. there's this <laughs> battle where these enormous companies are trying to control the population. Yeah. Because when people protest about things and people aren't on board with things, it fucks up their ability to make money. So they're trying to get as much control over what people say and do as possible. Mm. And the governments are stepping in and trying to get as much say and control over these internet companies as possible. And you see this integration of the FBI and Twitter with the Twitter files. It's like... Boy, there's a battle going on. Stuff scares me, man. It, it should. Part of part of it, like my initial reaction is, I gotta do whatever I can do to like help and make this make this positive and and not let like evil people take over. Mm -hmm. And then part of me is like, dude, you're like 27 year old MMA fighter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's settle down. <laughs> yeah, sit still out. Concentrate on kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, it's like a balance, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean. We all have our day-to-day -day life, um, family and things mm -hmm. going on and, you know, got to get an oil change on your car and right. things like that. And then it's like, all right, well, there's also like pretty significant evidence that we have some extraterrestrials flying around like Earth yeah. or that people are – there's pretty much explicit evidence that certain certain people and organizations are trying to mass manipulate the entire population and, and, and make it, you know – what, I forget what they call it, but basically, like what, whatever the 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 thing where they're like making all the world like uh, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about the uh, what's the organization? One World Order, World yeah. Economic Forum, World Economic Forum, and they're talking yeah. about the I don't remember what their whole plan was, but basically yeah. like uh, 
make it's global control. Yeah, the control, right? Yeah, like, it's spooky. And when it comes from a guy like Klaus Schwab, who dresses like a villain from Star Wars and talks like a Nazi, <laughs> how many more people Christ. not pay attention to that? He seems like a, a, like so on the nose. Imagine like, is that the a real person? The compliance. Imagine right? the compliance. That was actually um, Borla from Pfizer. Oh, it wasn't the same guy. <laughs> no, Borla from Pfizer was talking about a pill that you would take. Like, say, if you took a pill, some sort of pharmaceutical pill. And the pill has a signal that it sends to people that it shows that you took it. And then he's like, imagine the compliance. Yeah, like, dude. hey, man, fuck you. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> I got yeah. good. No. You, you're lucky you're still alive, buddy, yeah. with that kind of talk. Yeah, seriously. No, that's you're insane. You're a real threat to freedom with that kind of talk. Like, obviously, your drugs have not gone through the rigorous tests that you claim they have. Because the side effects that people experience from a lot of your fucking drugs are dangerous as shit. And if you're fast-tracking drugs and then imagine the compliance on these fast-tracking drugs with, by the way, the crazy thing when it comes to things like vaccines, there's no repercussions. You Nothing. can't even sue. No. And it's like, okay, let's say, let's say it really does go down and they get in trouble and they made $11 billion. Okay, they get fined $5 billion. Exactly. Net, net positive on their mind. They're like, I don't give a crap. That's exactly what happened with uh, Vioxx. Right, yeah. Which, um, uh, you know, Guy Metzger took that shit and Guy Metzger had a stroke. Do you remember Guy Metzger from yeah. back in the day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he, did, he had a fucking stroke from Vioxx. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, he was in his 30s. I'm so skeptical and I feel like very glad that I'm the age I am because I feel like people a little older than me, um, they got that heavy and they didn't really see a lot of the repercussions. Like they were the ones that got the negative ends of it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, um, like at least my age, are they didn't – Maybe maybe their parents were a little more awake to that type of thing, or um, but for sure it's like huge now. Like I see on Instagram, every single person I see is like buying ten acres, f homesteading, mm -hmm. getting chickens, like you know, drinking uh, raw milk, like mm -hmm. that, you know, eating beef liver, like that. That's the trend now. People are starting to see like I, I don't, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna freaking eat McDonald's and yeah, take these drugs and. Do, do this crap like I'm out. You know, well, that so. was one of the craziest things about like that interview that I had with Peter Hotez, where he's telling everybody's got to get vaccinated, take these medications. Like, what what are you doing for your body? Yeah. Like, do you work out? Do right. you actually? What do you eat? And he eats junk food and he doesn't work out. Like, this is crazy. You think you're going to medicate your way to health? That's never happened. It's not how it works, man. It doesn't work you at know, all. It takes that. <laughs> it takes effort. It's yeah, like, you know, you just got to. And and the thing is too, it's like if you just stay on top of it a little bit, yeah, you're going to be good. Like, I'm not. I'm not worried about getting the flu. I'm not worried about my wife getting the flu. I'm not like, dude, I never, I never get sick. I don't know about you, but like yeah, maybe rarely. once a year I yeah. have something like a little sniffle or something. But other than that, like I feel pretty freaking good. Yeah. Man. And I'm taking care of myself and all the people that I'm around, everybody is like a professional athlete or a coach who's still very active competing. It's like, we're all like that. You but know? that's why I was so crazy when they're mandating it for the NFL. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? These guys aren't even gonna feel COVID, what, dude. Yeah, like what's uh, to me? It's it's a weird thing because it got people. It tugged at their heartstrings so much. Oh, I don't want to kill my grandmother. This mm -hmm. and that. And I understand that. Like I definitely, we, we we don't want people that are at risk to be sick. We don't want those people sick regardless. Like if COVID never happened, right. you don't want those people to get sick anyways. So, but why is it all of a sudden like this whole thing? Everybody's freaking out when it's. Nobody's dying of this, and I, it was a mass psychology experiment. Yeah, it really was, and See unfortunately, they learned a lot. 
Right. I learned a lot about how quickly people roll over. Yeah. Well, I hope that there are more people now, too, that feel more skeptical and more inclined to, you know, ask questions and feel like, you know, they feel like they can just make a decision what's best for them based on the information rather than the um, emotion, mm-hmm. emotional response, right? Like that. So so many people got got with the emotion of it, um, and and they didn't actually look into it. And I, I was glad, like that, you know. I feel like you set a good example, and and people that you're around of getting the information out there. It's like I don't really care what you want to think. Like this is the right info. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is the truth, and and that's what people should know. They should just yeah. know the facts. If this is good for you, great. If this is Terrible for you? Okay, cool. Now we know. Like, and like, pay very close attention to people that are fighting against the truth yeah. and fighting against that information. Because right. what's what's interesting about now, and one of the things that McKenna talked about is with, with the internet, is that I don't think anybody ever anticipated things like podcasts, like the Huberman Show or Peter Atiyah's show or Lex Friedman's show, where you, you're getting unbiased information scientific information that is not connected to any official government agency or news source where they're vetting all that and telling you what you can and can't say. And when you do say something that goes against their narrative, they fucking come for you hard. It's wild. But what they don't understand is people don't believe them. So it just under look at what's happened to CNN. Right. CNN's falling apart. Nobody, nobody believes them. them. Nobody believes. Them. Go, oh, you're propaganda. You guys are full yeah. of shit. You don't give a fuck about the truth. And people started to realize too. It's like okay, if somebody can make money off something, if they're getting paid for 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 this and that, like, you can't trust that information. Right. Like, they're, they're, okay. Like this is their livelihood on exactly. the line. All right. Take everything they say with a grain of salt. It's like, you know, you, you got to get information from people who have no financial interest in it um otherwise it's like you don't know you have no idea yeah no yeah. idea. but it's it is a great time though to get information because you're getting like i talked about huberman who's so fucking fantastic yeah you're getting unbiased source information from a legitimate scientist from stanford who's telling you this works and this is why it works and these specific nutrients are responsible for these specific things that happen in your body. Mm-hmm. This was never available before. And right. now it's available for millions and millions of people. I mean, the Huberman's podcast is gigantic. And he's yeah. people are listening to it every day. They're changing their life. They're doing cold plunges and saunas yeah. and they're eating well. And they are, they are eating healthy foods. They are avoiding seed oils. And, right. and people are seeing these immense physical benefits from it health benefits from it yeah it's it's super exciting you know as somebody who i feel like as an athlete i kind of had to be a little ahead of the curve on that um just because i wanted to take care of myself and so you know the 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 cold plunge the sauna the nutrition the you know what's good for you what's bad for you understanding certain things it was like now i see like a good uh like my mom and dad are doing cold plunge every morning now and uh i'm like let's go like that's what i'm talking my about my parents have done sauna that don't do cold plunge they won't do i'm like come on <laughs> yeah, come on i go i'll get you one we'll put it at 50 yeah. degrees just do a little bit yeah like, just yeah. do it for 30 seconds yeah, so i've got them thinking about it okay. I go, listen you'll feel happier yeah you'll feel happier It'll no, make you feel better i love so my uh me and my buddy anthony we do so for us our schedule wednesday is just recovery day and uh so we'll go in. We'll do like some some contrast. We're, we're we're tinkering with it a little bit. We're we're gonna start doing some like Huberman protocols with sauna mm-hmm. cold plunge and stuff. And the best ever is you we do f- like five minute rounds on the cold plunge. So we go a little 
long, but uh, the best ever is we do like 15 or so minutes of, we call it shiver time after. So we'll go cold, just shiver and freaking shake. And then like you, you let your body kind of come back and regulate and get warm. And then you, then we go in a, in a hot shower and I'm like, I feel so good. <laughs> I know, like, right? I, I can't, like, you can't beat this. This is amazing. Right. It's a euphoric feeling. If you and could get a was... pill that would make you feel that good, everybody would be taking it. Your doctor would be like, Bo, what we need to give you is happy. Take <laughs> yeah. this happy. Yeah. Take 50 milligrams of happy in the morning yep. and then 50 milligrams of happy at, at mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah. And you'll be happy. Yeah. Well, I think they have that. It's like freaking heroin and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's different. Yeah, that, that makes you crash your car and fight with cops. <laughs> what, what, what the cold plunge does is it's just without any negative side effects, it elevates your mood, ramps up your dopamine. It lasts, but it ramps up your dopamine by 200 percent and Jeez. it lasts for hours. Yeah. Hours. I feel great when I do that. I mean, <sighs> I've been doing it for a long time. So now it's like, uh, but I look forward to it still. Oh, yeah. every, every week, I'm like, nice, like, let's go. Yeah, I look yeah. forward to it too until I'm right about to get in. <laughs> That's and the worst. My pu- the pussy part of my <laughs> brain is like, oh, maybe you should like find a good song to listen to. Yeah. And I like putting it off. Oh. Like, you know. Yeah, my buddy uh, Anthony, the guy I mentioned, oh, he's such a savage. He'll uh, so the, he'll we go in first, just hop in, and he'll go like up to his chin. And we have the jets and stuff, so it's freaking going. And, uh, Do you have a blue cube? No, we just have so at Penn State we have like a recovery room, mm-hmm. um, and there's just a hot tub and a cold tub. So they're like think like a regular hot tub in the ground with crazy jets, but it's okay. forty degrees or whatever, thirty eight degrees. Mm. And uh, so it, it it's kind of similar, I think. But, yeah, very. But similar. less compact, so probably right. a little less intense. But uh, so we'll sit in that, and uh, he'll go like up. I used to go like to my belly button or to my chest, and he would go to his chin every time. And I'll just be looking at him. I'm like, I am a pussy. It was so, so good. Now, now I go up to my neck. But uh, it used, I, it's good that we do it together because sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yesterday, I had to climb under sheets of ice. Oh, I had to get under it because uh, I have a, at my house. I have a Morosco. Yeah. And the Morosco is 34 degrees. And what happens is on cold days, like yesterday morning, it was like 34 degrees out. Yeah. So when I got in it. All the ice from the bottom forms and then floats up to the top. So I've got this, you know, three-inch thick slabs of ice, and I had to climb in and lift the ice up and slide <laughs> under it. So there's oh literally like these huge sheets of ice that yeah. are three inches thick that are right in front of my face. I'm like, fuck, and he fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> but you also feel cool that you could do it. Yeah, no, I love the cool. fact that I can talk myself into doing it every. Day. I did it right before I came here. Mm-hmm. I do it every goddamn day and when i do it every day i do it before workouts that's my my thing now i do it first thing in the morning right and um there's there's been some studies was it out of japan that they had those studies that showed it ramped up uh testosterone pretty significantly okay significant increase in testosterone when you do the uh cold plunge pre-workout so you do the cold plunge pre-workout and what i do is i do have a series of body weight exercises that i do that warm me up body weight squats push-ups so you don't go hot after you just warm up from working out no i don't do hot until after i'm done training done done. i like to do hot with elevated heart rate oh yeah i like to do hot like right after do rounds in the bag i like to finish my workout with tabatas yep so either i finish my workout with tabatas on uh an airdyne bike or a heavy bag Mm -hmm. and then once i do that then i like to go in when i'm at like you know 90 beats per second 
or per minute rather, and I, I go right in when I'm already, my heart's already pounding. And then I get in that one in 185 degrees and just throw some water on the rocks and fucking suck it up. That's wrestling style. Yeah, you have that's to how do we it do that it. way. Yeah. Look, if you want it to be effective, it's got to be difficult. I mean, that that's when you're dealing with cold and heat exposure, it can't be comfortable. It's got to suck a fat dick, and that's the only way to do it. It's the only way. I love stuff like that that's just... It's just hard that I know other people aren't aren't willing to do. Yeah, it makes um, it it makes me feel like I'm really living life because if everything's just comfortable and easy and you're never really that stressed and your body's never put under any pressure, you're just kind of floating and you're you're good. And I'm like, I w- I would l- friggin' blow my brains out if I had to live that way. Like yeah. I can't do it. Like, I got to do hard things all the time. Like, yeah, you know I got to always it, it's. And I think that a lot of people are starting to get more into that where their priority isn't comfort. Yes. You know, like I'm not, I think for a long time in human history, the priority was just keep, stay alive. And yes. if you can be a little comfortable, then that's great. Right. But they were in circumstances where 80% of their life was really difficult already. So, so when they, were, they got that comfort, they enjoyed it. Yeah. When you could sit on a couch in front of the fire after you just been fucking busting your ass all day, exhausted, mm-hmm. that's when comfort is appreciated exactly. and valuable. And it means something to you. Right. And when yeah. you got that, when, when when humans were able to get that easily through, you know, cars and grocery stores and, and planes and things where, you know, everything was kind of at cell phones at your hand, like that stuff is such a distraction from being the best version of yourself. Exactly. And that's really, I think, one of the only ways that a person is happy, if they are being the best version of themselves. And that takes work. My my friend Michael Easter, who's been a pod, uh, guest on this podcast before, wrote a book called The Comfort Crisis, hmm. and it's all about that this this bizarre place that we are, where so many people are just seeking comfort and taking the path of least resistance and trying to do things the easiest way possible, and people have never been more depressed, never been more unhappy, never been more unsatisfied, more lost more existential crisis and it's got to be connected to that because I think the human body and the human mind have requirements in terms of you need tasks and you need difficult things to do and if you don't do those things there's a contrast you don't enjoy the easy moments unless you have hard moments oh for sure yeah I mean I know for a fact that's true because if I were to just go eat an in-and-out cheeseburger like yeah it would be nice it'd be good but after I go through a full fight camp and I cut 20 pounds and then I go win a fight and then I head to In-N-Out and have that cheeseburger, yes. I'm like, hell yeah. yeah now this you is so it. good. Yes. And I'm like, but I don't want too much of that. Like, right. I, like I, don't want, I don't want too much of the, the, the dopamine from other things for whatever it is because then it's just not as good, right? Like right. I, I like – so when I was uh, in high school um, – Probably like my senior high school, we had homecoming and, and prom and like I, I think I drank a little bit um, there. And then I told myself, I'm like, all right, let's lock it up. I'm going to go five years of college. I'm not having a sip of alcohol, like nothing. And uh, so I went all five years, didn't go to bars, didn't party, no alcohol, nothing, just straight up focus. And, and that was it. And then I remember... Uh, my buddy and I, Anthony, the guy I keep bringing up, we both uh, won national titles our senior year, and the next week we went out and we had a freaking time. It was like yeah. <laughs> amazing. You earned it. You earned it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And really it like, earned it. And na- yeah, and now I'm like back on that grind where I'm like nothing. Like I'm not mm-hmm. doing, you know, I, I'm no alcohol, like 
go to a wedding. I want a cigar. Sorry, bud. No cigar. Like, like none of that stuff. And, uh, I love being able to do that. Like a lot of times I'll, I'll talk in my head, like, damn, it'd be nice to like, I mean, this fat ribeye, like have a glass of wine and wind down. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. you need to like earn this. Right. Like, I don't yeah. know. I, I like giving myself those little edges where I know I'm sacrificing something. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes a champion. Yeah, that it's it really fun is. too. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Sam Calavita because mm-hmm. I'm I'm very fascinated by that guy because yeah. I've seen some of the footage of uh, the training sessions that they put on <laughs> in his garage with uh, T.J. Dillashaw <laughs> yeah. and Juan Archuleta and a, a lot of those guys that go down there and train with him, and it just seems like he's got very unusual uh, strength and conditioning approaches. Yeah, like, he's the man, Coach Cal. Um, I don't even like to talk about the garage because it's like. PTSD like seriously (laughs) you know like uh I feel like the trauma that I've lived in my life has been through you know I've been very fortunate so I haven't been any through any like real trauma but like in my mind the real trauma is like losing at competitions and these crazy hard training sessions and the garage really dude it's like (laughs) bro he kills us every time and it's interesting that it is just like a two-car garage so yeah you just roll up to his house pull up the video of Sam Calavita the garage yeah he, uh, he's got everything just kind of organized and stacked in yeah. there. And you've got world-class fighters yeah. that are training with this guy in this fucking garage. Mm-hmm. He just let it play. Yeah, he uh, he's a different breed of human being. Coach Cal, he's, you should have him on. He's, I would love to. He's like the best. He's literally the best guy in the world. He's Coach such, Cal, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk to him about it too. Cause, uh, yeah, show some of the footage of the actual training. I thought this would be good. But it's it's a very humble little place. Yep, it's just, not big at all. Just do the work. This and, is TJ uh, before before you had to go through massive shoulder surgery. Yeah, I feel terrible for that guy. I know. No rough. rough well, injuries. I knew that he had his supraspinatus had been torn on both shoulders. Yeah, early in his career. And I think that you know the hard part is some guys are are a little too tough for their own good. Mm-hmm. Like with Coach Cal. You can really, you got to be very, so that, it that's it, yeah. You got to communicate with him. That's, back, uh, back up so we can see that garage again. Because it's kind of crazy. Just It's house. kind of crazy. This is like one of the most respected strength and conditioning establishments in the world. Yep. And it's a normal suburban <laughs> home with a two-car garage. Yeah. And that is where all these people go to train with one of the best training, strength and conditioning coaches in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so last time I was down there, um, he's like, uh, hey, uh, you want to get a workout in? I was doing a bunch of testing and stuff for, like, baseline for my VO2 and all different types of things. And he's like, hey, Bo, you want to, uh, you know, go get a workout in? We'll, we'll go down to the beach. It'll be fun. Um, you know, we have some, do, do some sand workouts and stuff. Like, it's not like that. It's not that crazy. It's like, it's like a fun one. And I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. He's like, okay, meet my house in 45 minutes. And he's very, like, so soft-spoken. And, uh. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem, let's do it. And I'm I'm solo, so it's like just me. And uh, which I don't know, I think it makes it worse. Because when you're with people, it's like <laughs> right, you're suffering. You together. know they're doing it too. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And uh, so I show up and he's got his garage door open and he's got like the big ass, you know, seventy to hundred twenty pound med balls set out and like all this stuff. And I'm like, What's up, coach? Like he's like, I was like, Oh, we're gonna go to the beach. He's like, Oh no, I changed my mind. We're just gonna do it. I'm like, you son of a bitch. You got me, bro. He literally like <laughs> destroyed me, dude. It was like he always does this thing too where 
it goes zero to a hundred at the beginning. Like it, it's not like too much to where you're going to get injured or anything, but like the work workout will be like, all right, hop on this BOSU ball and I'm going to throw this 70 pound med ball at you as hard as I can. You're going to catch it and throw it back to me. And we're just going to freaking get after it or hold on to this 50 pound med ball and hop backwards up this hill. It's like, start going, go, go. And he's like very, and you're just like, oh, go, go, go. And you'll go for like an hour or, you know, hour and 15 minutes doing whatever he says. And he's like, "All right, good. Warm ups done. Now let's, you know, let's let's turn." And dude, his warm ups done, bro. I'm not kidding. Like hour and fifteen minutes of hell, and that's the warm up. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like of I don't want to give away like his stuff, but uh, so like so so I did that uh, one workout. I did that for basically like an hour, just heavy med ball stuff, and then um, we did a bunch of uh, what was it? We we did like some some heavy lifts after that. And then from there, he gets his sled out, and he's like, all right, we're going to push the sled. And he doesn't tell you, like, how far you're going to go or anything. And uh, so we just start pushing the sled. And so we go all the way up the up that, up that the hill and around the corner. So you see this road right behind mm-hmm. him? So we go up that road all the way around the corner, and uh, we're, me, it's me and Anthony. We're going back and forth on uh, on the sled. It's like, push till you fail, push till you fail. And we probably did it 60 times each, like, just to get up around this corner. And we're like, oh, we're done. Like, finally, we got. And then he's like, all right, turn around. Now we're going to do pull. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, come on. So then we pulled it all the way back. And uh, then I'm like, all right, finally, like, we're done. And he goes, okay, bike time. Hop on the bike. And this is like two hours and 30 minutes in. And I'm like, Jesus, okay. Is there too much work, though? So he, I think that when we, when we live in Pennsylvania, right? So we're not there every day. So when we go out there, he likes to stick it to us a little bit. He's still like, he's like, Let's see if you're tough enough for the garage type thing. I'm like, coach, I've been working with you for six years. Like, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm kind of tough. But he's like, uh, but whenever we go out there, he kind of he'll, he'll give us the business a little bit. But dude. I could imagine. But is there a concern though that that would require too much recovery time if it's not a regular part of your routine? I think that um, if it's if it's just like a one time thing, a lot of times it's not. You know. Like, we're traveling out there to get testing done, things like that. Like, when mm-hmm. we're doing our actual program, it's back home in Pennsylvania. So then we'll get maybe one workout with him out in Cali. So he's, like, just freaking hammer us. Let's go. And then, all right, now you got, like, a few days. Like, travel back home. You're rested. Right. Then, you know, go get to your normal workout. Like, our normal workouts aren't that crazy. Um, they're. But what is the benefit of, like, that long of a training session other than mental? I think it's mental. mental. And it's and it's like afterwards, so you can't even really be, you know, after a good workout, you're like, I feel good. I think that it's just seeing how far you can push yourself. Like, mm-hmm. all right, where can I get? And then let's go further. Let's go further. Let's go further. Let's like just see where you can go. Because I don't feel like physically it's like a, it's not a physical benefit thing. Like I'm not taking, and a lot of times too, he's teaching us a lot of new things that we're implementing in the program. So he might do three, like, like three or four different things that are different days for us, but we have to learn them and how to do the exercises there. And we only have one day to do it. So now it's like, we're doing all of this in one, whereas now I'll go back home and this will be split up. So he's trying to teach us stuff as well, but it's more just like, Hey man, you want to work with me? Let's see if you're tough. Let's, yeah. You think you're a tough guy? Like, all right, we'll see. When you have these very brutal training sessions, are you using uh, heart rate monitors? Are you monitoring your heart rate variability? Are you monitoring your recovery rate, your resting heart rate, to make sure that you're not overtraining? Or are you 
Yeah, yeah. Everything's monitored. Yeah. So he has a program. He has an app, and uh, anybody can use it actually, which is pretty cool. So um, I think it's just Training Lab app, and uh, yeah, you you get a heart rate monitor from him. And so for me, when I'm in camp and training, um, I, I keep my heart rate, and and all that information gets sent to him. So I can look at it if I oh, want. Wow. But he's the one that's analyzing it and looking at it and making sure that everything's good. And it's very open dialogue. Like a big thing in combat sports and wrestling and stuff is uh, you don't really say like, oh, like I'm kind of feeling it. I'm kind of tired. Like you just you just tough it out. But if you're a real professional, like you need to be in communication and say like certain things. Like, oh, okay, so a good example. A couple camps ago, so we up my overall vol- weekly volume as a – kind of the camp goes on and I got to a point where I was pretty friggin' tired feeling it and uh I actually broke out in like herpes because I was stressed my body was stressed and he was like all right well now we found like your limit so now our overall volume for the week like this is kind of where we stop so we know what you can do and uh so there's a lot of analyzing a lot of science and algorithms and different things that he utilizes and fortunately for me like I don't have to learn all those things he's the expert Mm. so I just trust him yeah, well, that's great. It's a, that's a definitely a great thing to have. And it's amazing that he's got this app that he can monitor when you're not even there. Yeah, no, it's huge because obviously being in different places and stuff, and I don't want to guess. Like, I don't want to guess whether or not I'm ready to go or whether or not I'm doing everything in an optimal way. I want to know for a fact, and that's why we do um, hair analysis for um, minerals and tissue and things like that. That's why we test our our vo2s that's why we test our um crossover points and our resting metabolic rates and things like this you know that's why we do all those things because i'm not interested in guessing i'm not interested in kind of feeling like i've done everything right Right. i want to know right 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 how do you because you're saying you essentially organize everything yourself when you're back at home how do you decide like when to do strength and conditioning when to do skill acquisition when to do specific drills so because I have trained so much and so long and because my dad was a coach, so my dad was always putting programs together for his teams, understanding peaking, understanding how to periodize, understanding when we want to have tough matches, when we want to push ourselves. That was something I was always around. And then coming into Penn State, it was like that on steroids. And so um, I think a lot of it is just learned and absorbed from what I've been around and uh, just seeing like a, a typical schedule of when when our coaches have had us do certain things and when we've re- had recovery days and stuff. So, you know, it's not something that I've, like, really had to go find. It's just been ingrained in me since I was five. And, you know, I had a good example with my dad because he coached tons and tons of high school state champions, state championship teams, and guys who were, you know, compete went on to compete in college and, and do big things. So I got that solid idea of what it takes to organize a program very young and then you know like I said when I got to college it was like okay here's a new level then I started working with coach Cal boom new level and now I'm always like kind of looking for things to to up that to do better to improve to add in and uh or or things that you know maybe aren't serving me as much anymore and we kind of do away so it's just something that's on my mind it's like that's my job my job is to take care of myself this is my profession okay I want to choose this path now you got to take all of the responsibility that comes with that and be a professional. So that, that, that's kind of how I feel like I've been able to organize it the way I have. 
And when you organize these training sessions, like how, how do you organize recovery? Do you organize it based on the data that you're getting from the app and from your heart rate monitor? Like how, do you, how are you doing that? Or is it just like a, a thing that you do every day? I have a weekly schedule. So everything's scheduled out for the week. And uh, typically the weeks are very, it's like a similar base, right? So like Monday, I'll, I'll get two sessions. Tuesday, I'll get, I'll get two sessions. Wednesday, recovery, I'm off. Thursday, um, two sessions, Friday one, Saturday one, Sunday off. And those sessions are all different, right? Like um, Monday, I typically, the morning is like striking, afternoon wrestling. Tuesday, morning spar, afternoon lift. Off Wednesday, Thursday morning, grappling, afternoon light wrestling. Friday, my heavier spar day, Saturday lift, Sunday off. So you always like to take two days off a week? That's the standard, yeah. That's that's for me what I feel like is the right move. And I think people people are doing too much, honestly. People are going every day, twice a day, and it's like not really, to me, manageable, reasonable. And I think they're overtrained. How did you come to those conclusions? Was it through data or was it through trial and error? Well, that two days off uh, it comes from Coach Cal. Yeah, that's from him and all of his data and his trial and error. And also, like... He, uh, from from Penn State, from our program and how we've run things and stuff. So that was a standard for me as soon as I got to college, two days. And do you take those days off? Are you watching tape? Are you studying things? Yeah, so um, Wednesday is more of an active recovery. So I'll, I'll go in, um, and I, I'm really fortunate because my buddy Anthony, me and him are on the exact same schedule. So we always just do everything together, which is great because now I have some a partner to do all these things with. But uh, we have a bunch of um, like basically body weight exercises and stretches and certain things that we do uh, alongside the contrast tubbing and sauna. And then I'll either get a massage or go to the Cairo and, uh, you know, basically just take care of all the little things I need to. You know, if I got um, like I, I have specific injuries I need to focus on that, I, that to me, like you get an injury, you don't just do rehab for eight weeks and then move on. Like I'm always taking care of these things so that I'd never have reaggravated. I'm staying ahead. And so that's the day where I do all of that stuff. And then Sunday is, is, is nothing. Sunday. I just, I go to church, I hang out with my wife and, and see my family, maybe do like a Sunday dinner with people. And that's more of like an um, emotional mental recovery. Mm. Yeah. Now, what has the UFC said in terms of like setting you up for a fight in the future? Do you ha do you have anything lined up? Yeah, yeah. So no opponent yet, but I'm gonna fight UFC 300. Ooh, yeah. that's a big one. I know. Yeah, April, so. right? Is yeah, that April. April. Yeah. Yeah. Do they? Is that Vegas? Yes. Nice. Yeah, I'm fired up. That's gonna be fun. And no opponent yet. Now, are you asking for a specific level of opponent? Are you trying to get someone in the top 15? Like, what are you trying to do? So my goal for this next fight is. You know, just whoever they give me. Um, I'm still on my first contract, so I kind of want to fight this out and then see and then see as it goes. But I would How like many to, fights are in that contract. I have two left. Okay. Yeah, so it was four. Um, so I would like to fight this fight, and then my next fight, I would like to get somebody that's maybe right outside the rankings, right in there, like in the mix, and then hopefully that'll be ideally like July, and then if I get I'll at least get one more next year, maybe two, and then I would like to, after that, obviously fight a ranked guy. So hopefully, like a ranked guy, my third fighter next year. And how much time are you looking to have in between fights? Well, I told my manager, I was like, if they could book me 
for UFC Miami in March and go again in April because I feel like I'm going to – whoever they put in front of me, I'm going to kill them. So let's do it. But they're like, they don't really do that, this and that. And like, he's like, so you can either just do the UFC Miami card and then hopefully something – maybe something will fall out and you'll get there. Or you can like guarantee yourself on 300. And I was like, well, I'd rather – I really want to fight on UFC 300, so let's just do that. Um, so that's uh, April, May, June, July. So then I'll basically – basically run those back to back and then after that i don't want to plan like too far ahead because who knows what happens in mma right, right. but after that i mean i'm ready to go if i finish a guy again let's go again that's kind of how i feel well the the division that you're in the 185 pound division is so exciting right now when when strickland beat adesanya and opened it up and when uh Drekus duplessis beat down robert whitaker like a lot of things opened up like, yeah this is a very very exciting time yeah, it is. It is. I, I I feel like you know, there's a there's a lot of good guys, um, but I like where I'm at. I think I'm a tough matchup for any of these guys, and they all want to fight me now because I'm the worst that I'll be. Right. So you hear you hear some of these guys talking about me and stuff like they want to fight me now. I'm like, that's that's smart, you know, because where I'm at right now is not going to be where I'm at in six months it's not gonna be where i'm at in a year well that's why i'm so excited to see you in april yeah because you got so good in two fucking years and it's like what is gonna happen to you in the with the six months off or seven months off yeah and i'm 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 not the type of guy like to just train in camp like i'm always on it obviously right so i'm always getting better and improving but it's really which is gigantic yeah it's that's where the real gains are made exactly i agree for sure and uh you know it's interesting because i've had five professional fights you know, I don't know what somebody's going to game plan for. It's like, all right, you watch me beat five guys basically in like six minutes combined total time. Like, okay, study that, bud. Like, good luck. And I'm not even going to be the same. Like, I'm not even going right. to. I'm taking however many months. That's like 40% of my total training time in my career. So, like, I don't know, man. I'm not even going to be close to what I was this last fight. And even in this last fight, you got 30 seconds to watch. So It's so bananas that you've gone this far in just a couple of years. I haven't even been hit yet. <laughs> no, seriously, go back and watch all my fights. So my last fight, I cracked the dude with the right hook, and he kind of came over the top and, like, barely touched my head. But it was already, like, it wasn't even, it was almost like a slap. Like, I didn't even feel it. But I don't even count that. Like, I have not been hit in five professional fights, two amateur fights. I've been hit on training, obviously, but... Um, yeah, it, it, it's a weird – I didn't expect this. I expected, like I said, to have a different path, but here I am, and I'm going to make the most of it, and I'm I'm excited like to uh, just keep getting better is the main thing. I just want to keep getting better, improve, improve, improve. Yeah, I have big goals and stuff, but the main thing is just keep getting better. Well, I'm I'm a fan, man. I'm very excited to watch this. One more thing I want to talk to you about is how would you get into bow hunting? Yeah, so um, I grew up – my dad uh, and granddad uh, hunted, and they, they were interested in hunting and stuff, and uh, – so when I graduated college in 2019, I was kind of thinking like, all right, I, I want to figure out other things I'm interested in. And I actually saw uh, I saw Cam Haynes on Instagram and I was like, oh, this looks cool. Like I, I like, you know, I'm, I kind of always have enjoyed the outdoors and stuff. And I've always been into my nutrition and I was really interested. I was like, I want to like hunt for my food that I eat. Like, mm. I want to be eating elk and deer and things like that. And so uh, then... I was started thinking about getting a bow and stuff, and I, it wasn't like a rush decision. I took probably like almost like six or eight months where I was like thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, and then I finally was like, "All right, like I I really want this. Like I'm I'm gonna do it." And so 
Then I got hooked up with Lancaster Archery. Uh, they're a great archery they're great. shop. Yeah, great yeah. place. I buy a lot of my shit from them. No, they're awesome. And so, uh, is this an elk hunt that you went on? This was New Mexico this year. Yeah. Oh wow! Was that your first elk hunt? Uh, s- first archery elk. <laughs> archery elk hunt in New Mexico for the first one is amazing. That's the promised land. Yeah, it was great, man. Nice. It was awesome. Yeah, that was uh, that was the September. Yeah. Yeah, you're all hooked up. Look at you. Cool yeah. you. Dude, it's so got funny. a PSE bow. You're, yeah. you're ready to go, man. I'm, I'm ready to go, yeah. What was that like? Man, it's like the exact same feeling as knocking somebody out cold. It's one of the most exciting things I've ever done. It's so fun, It's man. so crazy. <laughs> bow so, hunting is just, it's it's so well, it's also so yeah. complicated. It's so difficult. Yeah. There's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's a dance. You oh, know? my gosh. So yeah. many things happening. Should I stand here by the tree? Which way is he coming? Yeah. You know, with the wind and right. the range. Do I have a chance to range him, or am I going to just, like, range areas and right. guess? Am I going to pin gap on What yeah. am I going to do? I love that chess match, too, mm-hmm. you know, between you and the animal. It's the same as a fight, and... uh I actually, like, when I got my bow, it was probably June or July, and I started shooting it, and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this 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 fall. Like, I'm going to— Get good. I'm going to get good. So yeah. I, took a, I took a year and a half, basically, of, of full training before I even did any archery hunting. Do you have an archery coach? I don't have a coach, no, but I, I uh, watch, like, all the, the Knocked On, like, School of Knock. Mm-hmm. So I watch tons of film on that, and then— Dudley's the man. He's great, yeah. yeah. yeah I, like, he's—it's <laughs> so funny because— there's like not that many people I look up to, you know. It's like, but him, he's like, I'm like, dude, this guy's the, he's the man. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I saw, I think it was last year, he killed four bulls in four different states. I'm like, dude, I, yeah. I need to do that. Like that's amazing. But uh, I just thought that was that was the coolest thing. But I, when I go to Lancaster, they help me a ton. So they help me get set up correctly and things like that. Which now when I tell people who ask me about it, who are interested in doing archery, I say, the most important thing is. Go to a good archery shop and get set up and have them teach you, like, good kind of fundamentals. You yes. can tinker with everything. and But you don't want to learn bad no. initially and then have to unlearn it. Yeah, like, yeah. all the other stuff, you know, tinkering, like, what do you want your your what do you want to use for a release or stabilizer? Like, just get set up, get your draw link correct, get your peep height, you know, get, get, get everything put on, get your grip right, and have a good starting point and good foundation. And then you can kind of go from... From there, you're going to be on a so much better trajectory if you're learning incorrectly yes. from the jump. So I was able to learn correctly from the beginning. And then it's the same thing with, with striking. I just apply everything I know with wrestling, and now that's hunting and archery for, for me. And I, I freaking love it. It's all I want to do is go fight people and knock them out and then go chase elk. And Yeah, that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of broadheads are you using? So I've been using a Rage Hypodermic. Mm-hmm. I like them. They get the job done. That's what I shot that bull with. I mean, it was a frontal shot straight through the heart, so any broadhead would have done the trick. But uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm always open to, like, learning new things. I think there's different reasons to use different types of broadheads, right? Like, I shoot a, a 80 pounds, and I have a pretty long draw length, so mechanical. Like, I'm not that worried about pe- penetration. Right. But, you know, in a longer shot— or a follow-up shot. I have uh, iron wheels as well for, for a longer follow-up where I'm more worried about something like that. And then, you know, like I said, it's going to be different for every animal, for every situation. So I think some people get so stuck on, like, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean, it's different for everybody. Like, if I, I have a 30-and-a-half-inch draw, it's going to be different than somebody with a 27-inch draw. It's going to be different than somebody shooting 65 right. versus 80 pounds. It's like, you know, it's all it's – all, so I, I'm not married to anything, really. That's great. And what kind of release are you using? I use a knock to it. 
Thunder okay. Lease. Yeah, those yeah. are great. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong. No, I, I feel like, so I wasn't originally using the index release. Um, but once I started using the thumb release, I just got so much more accuracy and consistency. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, I mean, that, that was just to me the way to go. Yeah, I I killed my bull uh, last one with a th- knock to it. I think it's just it's such a great release, and I really do like the two fingers too. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Do you use the uh, silverback at all? Do you? Use I the... used to. I I trained with that just for training. I learned how to really shoot correctly. That's what John put me on initially. Yeah, yeah that's what, so. I have one. I haven't really like set it up because you got to fiddle with it a little bit mm-hmm. to get the poundage right and all that. But uh, I feel like I want. I wouldn't use it for hunting, but I want to use it for for training and. It's stuff. very good to make sure that you're pulling hard against the back wall yeah. and get a full clean release. Yeah. With the follow through. It's the best feeling. Yeah. I yeah. love that, man. But I've hunted with it too. Have you? Yeah, Jocko hunts with that. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of guys still like to hunt with it, but you know. Yeah, yeah, dude. I would love to go out with you guys. I think uh, a guy said, um, I know a guy who his name's Rick. He. Uh, I don't know if he owns a place or has the connection in Utah, but he asked yeah, Rick Wood. Rick, yeah, yeah. okay. He yeah. asked me to come out with you guys um, this last fall, but I uh, I already had my uh, New Mexico hunt set up. So, but dude, it would be fun. I would just freaking hang out and pack out. Yeah, it would be fun. Yeah. It, it's going to be really fun. But listen, brother, I uh, really appreciate you coming in here. I'm a big fan. I'm very excited about what you're doing, and I'm really excited about your future. So, it's been cool to talk to you, and I, I can't wait to see you in April. Well, Thank you, Josh. 300. Let's go. Let's get it, baby. I appreciate uh, tell it. everybody you have an interesting uh, Instagram handle. They might not be able to find it. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at no bickle once. So Instead of Bo Nickel, yeah. <laughs> no bickle. How did that happen? So it's kind of funny. When I was in high school, um, I just that was when Instagram kind of started getting big, and I was like trying to figure out what I want. I was just going to do Bo Nickel or something in my. Is butt. there a Bo Nickel out there? That... I don't think so. But uh, my buddy, uh, his name is Jack. He was like. How about no bickle? And I was like, dude, that's it. So I can't take credit for the idea, but I'll just bend with that one. Well, it works. Uh, All right, dude. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in here. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you.